author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries here with you coming as the promo says from just outside the swamp infested Washington, D.C. every Friday at this time. I have a guest uh, guest today that uh, are very close to my heart because uh, it mirrors what my brother, you guys, most of you, I'm sure all you know, but my brother Ricky, I did several shows on it, written many articles on it, what happened to him in uh, January of 2022. Um I don't know how many, I, I suspect many people in my audience have heard of Rob Skiba. He was in our world. He was a talk show host. He covered a lot of the same subjects I do. Uh, did some great work. And unfortunately, he uh, went through the same experiences as my brother did. So we have today Sheila Skiba, his widow, and Roberta and Alan Stalvey, who are the their co-authors with The Protocol That Kills, which is a very powerful documentation of what he went through. So welcome, all three of you, to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Much. Well, you know, glad to have you here again. This is a powerful story, and uh, I want you to take your time and tell it how you want to take. But uh, Tony, do we have the promo ready to go? We have a three-minute promo here that I think the audience would in- enjoy watching. Did you know that a government-incentivized hospital protocol has led to the deaths of untold numbers of unsuspecting people? The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons noted. We now see government-dictated medical care at its worst in our history since the federal government mandated these ineffective and dangerous treatments and then created financial incentives for hospitals and doctors to use only those approved and paid-for approaches. The book, The Protocol That Kills, exposes the lethal regimen adopted by hospitals to maximize profits at the expense of patients' lives. This exhaustive expose provides a first-hand account of the protocol in action as it was invoked on an otherwise strong and healthy 52-year-old Rob Skiba, who was diagnosed with a viral infection by the admitting hospital. Within 40 days, this valiant Army veteran who had sworn to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, had fallen at the hands of a government-incentivized domestic enemy. This over 400-page true crime story uncovers every aspect of this lethal protocol in action, despite the protest of Rob Skiba and his wife. It includes disheartening text messages from Rob, who was locked away from his wife because she was forbidden to enter the hospital in the name of the protocol. Lawfully recorded detailed conversations his wife had with doctors, therapists, nurses, and hospital staff. Numerous pages extracted from the over 5,000-page hospital record that exposed the protocol that led to his tragic death. The testimony of a medical expert who provided his detailed analysis of the case. Invaluable and timely insights of a legal counsel who provides the story behind the story by providing crucial details and evidence along with over 100 citations from clinical studies, medical journals, federal regulations, and relevant books and articles that prove Rob did not die of natural causes, but due to the perpetrator's insistence 
that he follow the mandated and inhumane protocol that kills. As Richard Bartlett, MD, says, this book shares a wealth of critical insights that will greatly aid in preventing future needless losses of life. The purpose of this book is to sound an alarm of a clear and present danger, as this lethal protocol is still being used against patients in hospitals all across America and to provide you with essential insights that could help save your life or the life of someone you love. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Get a copy today at theprotocolthatkills.com. Very nice promo. So I hope you guys all uh, enjoyed that. So let, let's start, I guess, with uh, Sheila. You know, you obviously are the one that was most impacted by this. So um, give us a, I mean, your, your book. And again, I read it and it's 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 very powerful. It's 430 some pages and it's uh, got a lot of appendixes and it's got a lot of evidence in it. You really documented thoroughly what they did, and you know, again, I can it's from my brother and also from working in the medical industrial complex for a long time. I saw the sausage being made, and it's uh, it's not pretty. But you were treated so poorly by seemingly every doctor, every nurse. They were so insensitive. The social worker, even your patient advocate, nobody there was really uh, doing the right thing. They weren't listening to you. They wouldn't even give, you know, intravenous vitamin C. I mean, ridiculous stuff like that, as if that was really difficult to do or the cost would be prohibitive. So uh, tell us a little bit how, just give a brief synopsis of what happened. Rob, your husband was a 52-year-old, very healthy guy. Uh, what happened? How did he come to be in this situation? Well, first I'll say he was a pretty outspoken person. He had been helping people get um, medical exemptions. By the way, this book is really big. It... Uh, the content of the book comes from my, my transcripts. I recorded every call. And the reason I did that is because I was never in a million years thought my husband was going to die. I thought I'll let him hear how terrible these people were. And then he can write a book because he's written published eight books. So my, my goal was never to write a book. It was to document so that I could show him what the hell I went through, but it ended up being 40 days of pure hell. And then his life was taken. I believe premeditated murder was the cause and I think this book proves it. Um, there was no consent. There was no um, the right to try is not the right to try. It's after they do everything they can to you to jack you up. Then they give you the right to try, which isn't really a right. It's just it doesn't exist. And um, yeah, it was it's it's the richest county in Texas. And you would think, you know, I had been to this hospital many times. My father had a pacemaker put in. It was excellent emergency care. And uh, just overnight, I don't know what day that magic day was where they flipped the switch and got these traveling nurses to come in and um, strip families apart. If I had known they were going to lock me out for 40 days, I would have never taken them. And he was adamant not to go. But the thing is, he went to out of town to a uh, conference, Take on the World 2021, and came back and um, he was OK the first day. And then he started coughing and he couldn't control this cough. It was a constant cough. And anytime he would try to take a pill or eat. He would gag it back up. And so I kept telling him we need to get help. So we, we, got, we went to the frontline doctor telemed and got all the medications. He was able to nebulize, but he was unable to take any of the medication and was unable to eat. And uh, then I took his oxygen with the oximeter and it went down to the 50s. And I just freaked out and I called them and I said, what do I do? And they said, take him to the ER. So I did. And unfortunately, I guess they didn't know that the hospital that had turned into a kill shelter. 
And I need to call them and tell them because I don't know if these people know what they're doing. They're sending people to their deaths yeah. when they tell the families to take them to the ER. Yeah. They are because you, and you saw, you saw it was very, I mean, in my case, it was a little different because my brother was a hypochondriac. He didn't have any symptoms at all. He had a minor fall, which he wasn't hurt at, but he, he, we had a problem with him calling ambulances for no reason. We, I couldn't get him to stop doing it. And he did. And uh, he was already in there and it had already been, you know, they found out he wasn't vaccinated as they did with Rob. Once they yeah. see that unvaccinated, that fast track you. That's the and, only you know, thing they asked about his history was, yeah. was he vaccinated. They didn't care about anything else, even though I told him his yeah. father had lost a kidney, not to give him remdesivir because we had both done the research on that. And they gave it to him while he was sleeping on day one. Um, it yeah. doesn't matter what you tell these people. They're going to they do what they want to do. Yeah, they did the same thing with me, too. I told him absolutely mm -hmm. no remdesivir, no ventilator. And I don't know which is worse, uh, your case where you did eventually get to see him, but he was already unconscious. So you never got to talk to him. Horrible seeing him in that condition. In my case, they let me see my brother the day he was going to die. And now we can go. Now the COVID protocols are okay. You don't have to worry. You know, now that he's unconscious and I just had to sit there and watch him die. Uh, it, it's just horrible what they do. And you're right. They can't, you can't, and people don't realize, I don't know if they, did you have people saying to you what they said to me is that, Oh, you shouldn't, you should have done this. You should have gotten him out of there. I said, they had armed guards at the door. Yeah. How, I, you know, I couldn't go in there and kidnap it. I mean, did people, were people telling you that? Um, yes. And I mean, the thing is, uh, I thought they were going to just get him settled because his oxygen yeah. went immediately up to 96. And I thought they would have eventually let me in. I, if they had told me I was going to be locked out for 21 days, I would have walked out of there and gone to another hospital. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. I didn't know he was ta talking to me. If he had told me to come pick him up, I would have picked him up in two minutes. The day that they forced him on a ventilator, he called me that morning. We were talking. He was fine. He was getting better. The doctor told me his labs were improving. That's yeah. what they do. They get you off guard because they tell you everything's fine when they have a plan. And their plan was to get him on a BiPAP and jack him up with even worse. And I don't know. I think he went down punching, to be honest, because he knew he knew he was screaming it from the mountaintops. You know, the, the, your rights are getting taken away. The churches are closing down. He's like he saw the writing on the wall and he wasn't quiet about it. So. Did, did he know, did he, had he talked about the, ho the the hospital protocols or had he heard about that yet? No, he had, he has been screaming about it. He got shut down on uh, Facebook two months in a row, right before he went on this conference. And ironically, the last talk that he ever did was uh, Revelation 12 and the Nuremberg Code. Um, he never gave that talk because anyway, it's a long story, but uh, my son and I actually got his slides from the last one that he did and, and put it together on his YouTube channel. And um, so, yeah, he was he knew everything. And when after he died, my son and I got on his computer, he had over 200 windows open, all relating to COVID, deep, dark stuff that I didn't even know. I didn't want to know all these details. I wish I would have, but I didn't. Well, I think the, the big mystery here for me, at least, is, again, I, I, I hear my in my brother's case, he had no symptoms at all. You know, they, they killed him. Basically, they made him sick. He got sick once he got in the hospital and they, they started the protocol. And they claimed he had COVID pneumonia, which is ridiculous. And they went behind my back and gave him remdesivir and put him on a, a, a BPAP machine, which is a kind of ventilator. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told him no. And that, you know, that's, that was it. But um, in your case, he had something. I mean, it had to be something really bad that to cause him to break down, you know, his his, uh, you know, re reluctance, as I would have to go to any of these killing fields. So what what do you think it was that was that that, that he caught or that what that was uh -huh. so my mom says it's a bioweapon. I have no idea. I was a little bit sick too. There was a couple of days there where he was bringing me soup. So 
but I got over it pretty quick. He was never able to quit coughing. I've never seen this before in my life. I don't know. I didn't, I, I don't know what it was. Uh, so Har Harlan Stonewall says is there's uh, the volume is low. Anybody else in there? Tony is our, is our volume. Okay. Nobody else is saying it. Okay. I, but uh, sorry about that. I just want to make sure everybody can hear your story. It's very important. Um, Brothers says that uh, paid to vent remdesivir, shame on them. His dad died the same way. So there's, there's so many people. So I've had, I said, I had a, I had a guy on a show um, whose wife died around the same time, his pregnant wife. But mm. luckily I think they were able to save the baby if I remember right. But, uh, and like you, he was saying he wasn't going to take their money. I, I, I guess we have a disc because for those of you who don't know, uh, and I don't know whether you had like an 800,000. If you want to know how bad the medical industrial complex is, her bill was close to a million dollars. That's so without how, incentives even. Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> incentives on top of that. I mean, how would somebody possibly pay that? Especially with, even with insurance, you're going to have to pay probably 10, 20% of that, which is still prohibitive. But so did they, because in my case, they, and so many cases I heard they waived the bills because of the COVID thing. They don't, did they waive your bills or are you just not going to pay? It was adjusted. I guess that's waived. I, Alan, you looked at it. I don't know exactly how, I would like to know the details of it because I want to know how much doctors made, how, why was it adjusted so significantly? I don't know, but I yeah. did ask for that itemized bill because I wanted to see exactly what they were doing. And, and when you get the hospital record and you look at the bill, and you put them two and two together. And then you also have the audios. You can kind of see a lot of things. And you can also see a lot of discrepancies. And I'm so thankful for Alan and Roberta. Uh, they well, helped dig through this. Well, let's bring Alan, Alan and Roberta uh, style the end. So how how did you, were you, did you know uh, Sheila beforehand? Or how, how did you all get together to write this book? I'll let y'all talk. Yes, we, we did know Sheila. We had met, an interesting story actually, Sheila and Rob, many years ago, moved next door to our daughter who lived just 15 right. minutes away from here and from where we live. And she told us, she said, I see a man in the neighborhood that looks like Rob Skiba. My daughter did. My <laughs> uh, daughter said, I, I saw a man in the neighborhood. It looked like Rob Skiba. And I walked up to him and said, are you Rob? And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm Rob Skiba. And she said, well, how about that? We're welcome to the neighborhood. And then she said, I saw him walking a dog and he walked the dog into the house next door that just sold. So eventually she ran into him again and introduced herself and said, my father and my mother follow you on your channel on YouTube. And, uh, you know, we, we would like to have you meet them. Sheila and Rob came over for dinner a couple of times. So we got to know them a little bit. But Rob, being a world traveler and keynote speaker at many conferences, uh, wasn't someone we would spend time with. We just had dinner twice, but Sheila got to know us and who we are, that we in, are into natural means of health and we had a health clinic. And then when Rob ended up in the hospital, not long after he was actually, unfortunately, on the ventilator, she contacted us and said, I need help with my husband. And from that day forward, Roberta and I were involved in assisting every way we could. I won't go into all the details here. Some of that's in the book. Uh, but then after he passed, she said, I want to go through these records and find out how he died. The purpose of our going through the records and spending thousands of hours crawling through over 5,000 pages of hospital records was not to write a book, but to find out how Rob died. How did this possibly happen to a man who's 52 years old, extremely strong and healthy with less than 1% chance of dying of a virus? And when we began to see what was going on, the next step was, can we file a lawsuit? And the answer to that was no, because 
the PREP Act, the CARES Act that are federal acts combined with Senate Bill 6 in the state of Texas just make it untenable to file a case because it, you won't get any kind of an award and you'd have to prove absolute negligence and malfeasance. And the problem is if they follow the standard of care, which unfortunately is a lethal protocol, then you cannot sue them for following the standard of care. Right. So you wouldn't win the case anyway. And even if you did, there's a maximum award that's capped at a very low level in Texas. And it's so low that you would spend more bringing the case than what you could possibly be awarded if a jury awarded you the maximum. So as a result, no attorney would even take the case. So then we moved on from we know how he died. We know that his life was taken through a protocol. We know we can't file a lawsuit. It's untenable. No, and then no attorney will take it. What do we do now? And Sheila said, I need to write this story clearly documenting how this protocol that's government incentivized was used to take the life of my husband, who seemed to become a target from the day that she took him in. Because she's, when she walked yeah. into the emergency department, and those of you who read the book will we'll see this. We're not going to go into all the details. But they said, <laughs> give us your husband. You need to leave. And she said, but wait a minute, wait, 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 don't you want to know his medical history? And as she said, the only thing they wanted to know, and the only thing that her said is, is he vaccinated? Yeah. And she said, no, he's not vaccinated, but wait, 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 don't run away with him. I want you to know something. Do not give him remdesivir. His family has a history of kidney problems. I know it's damaging the kidneys. Do not give my husband remdesivir. They shove her out the door with a security guard ushering her out. And for 21 days, they would not let her set foot in that hospital in, in at least in his ward, she could go into the waiting area in the lobby. And that was as far as she could get to plead her cause. And only after 21 days did they officially allow her into his room to see what else they had done to him and to continue so they could continue the protocol. So you were you started out as basically fans of Rob Skiba's show. We started as fans. Then yeah. we became, you know, light, lightly friends and, and acquaintances. But then when he ended up in the hospital, she remembered Roberta, came over and she said, I am in deep trouble. My husband's in the hospital. He's on a ventilator. And as you read in the book, there was unfortunately at that point, there just wasn't much of anything we could do. There were attempts yeah. made to possibly move him. But you'll read in the book why that wasn't successful and why that wasn't possible. Yeah. Um, but then Roberta got deeply involved. You'll read that in the book as well in assisting throughout that period. Mm -hmm. And then we continued to assist Sheila afterwards. But then it became, can we write a book about this story? And one other story I'll tell you real quickly is they were we were going to help to Sheila to write her memoir of what happened to Rob. But then not long after starting to write it based on hundreds of hours of recorded dialogue on the phone and in person, which by Texas law is allowed, we're a one party state. If you're a party to the conversation, you can record it without notifying the other party. She recorded every single phone conversation for the 21 days, except for one she'll tell you about that started her down that path. And then every conversation in the room with him in the hospital from that point forward, we had to crawl through hundreds of hours of dialogue, which Sheila transcribed and then decide how to put that in the book. But then Roberta said, you know, I can't write this book as a memoir. She felt a check in her spirit. This is not the way to go with this book. This is not going to work. We need to bring in, because we can't file a case in a civil court or criminal court, we have to go to the court of public opinion. And we need a legal counsel to bring forward and to the forefront the story behind the story of what happened each day behind the scenes during those 40 days that we later learned as we crawl through the records. And so there's a legal counsel in the store in this book that brings you up to date on what's really going on behind the scenes yes. as you read her story through the 40 days of terror that she and Rob experienced. And it sets a whole different tone. It's a unique kind of book that's told in seven different voices, really, throughout the book, with the legal counsel being just one of them. 
Yes. No, it's it, fascinating. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's written like a movie where you have the victims in her house all alone and there's someone else behind the door with a knife who broke mm -hmm. in. She doesn't know it, but the the those that are watching the movie, they can see what's going on. Sheila had no idea. So the legal counsel is kind of like the eyes of God. And so as you read the book, as part of the jury, you're seeing, oh, my goodness, they're about to kill him. They're going to use that. Oh, they've got a knife. They've got the, yeah. the injections. They've got the ventilator. And your heart's palpitating because Sheila doesn't know what's coming. And we have over 100 legal counsel statements with over 100 citations from clinical studies, journal articles, federal regulations. I mean, th this book, and matter of fact, the reason we have a hard copy is an attorney that was on our, our first interview was with an attorney out of California. And he said, you need a hardcover edition because people will want this in their library as a resource and as a reference for this protocol. You've got the most exhaustive expose ever written on this protocol. And so <laughs> we went from just the paperback to a hardcover edition, which is now available as well. It's 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 uh, an amazing story because it is so thoroughly documented. And Sheila, you were just uh, <clears throat> incredible the way you and I I'm sure Rob is looking down on you and is very proud of what you did because you really you, know, you told a story about as thoroughly as anybody could have told it. Christopher Mincy over here in Rockfin wants to know, did her father wear a mask for prolonged periods? I think he, he means your husband, but I, I, I'm guessing Rob probably never wore a mask, right? I'm, no, I'm, he wore a shield. In fact, when I wheeled him into the ER, he was adamant to not get a Q-tip shoved up his nose. He was very anti everything they were doing. Yes, yeah. He would wear a plastic shield. He got out once a day to mail packages. He's an author, so he would fill orders and he would go to Sprouts with a shield, but he would never wear a mask. No. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that, that may have been some confusion there. And Brothers Grimm, sorry what happened to your dad, but he said, yeah, they told him they were they were, they were pulling through and all that. And it's, I, I was really, uh, really moved by when he died and you weren't, I guess, quite there when he died and you ran into the room and you talked about the charade where they seemed to be putting on a, a, a you know, tried to do a, resuscitate him or something, seep dar on him. And you thought felt that was a show, like they did it, it just for you. I mean, it, it, it seemed kind of theatrical to you. It was theatrical. It was sick. He was already gone. We learned, Sheila, we learned later that from a respiratory therapist's point of view and a nurse's point of view that, that had nothing to do with this hospital, that that's a common practice in ERs, is to do a charade. In the ICU. In the ICU, in the ER. Yeah. Yeah, family right. shows up, start the charade. Right, they start. The, they start. They start the show. And what? I'll say the the charge nurse, the nurse in in charge of the whole floor, at the beginning of this nightmare, told me that I couldn't get into my chart until he was discharged, which I knew yes. was a lie because I take care of elderly people. It's in it's in real time. So he was able. He was strong enough. I think he went down punching. He was strong enough to get me in through his email and give me the code. So I got into my chart and I was able to really track with him every day. And there were several medical professionals that knew of his work that were also reviewing it, telling me, you know, kind of coaching me through it, what to say, but it didn't matter what I said. They, they did what they wanted to do, period. This lady saying grateful yes. I should say no. Well, yeah, I said no a million times. They didn't listen. Yeah. I was, I was going to mention that Karen Carpenter and I love you, Karen. You're a great supporter of the show, but you were lucky. Yeah, because, you were lucky. Uh, yeah, because Sheila did. She she said over and over again, I was very adamant about no remdesivir and no ventilator for my brother. They just went behind the back and did it. And like 
in, in your in Rob's case, he was probably I don't even know if he was conscious or whatever, but he and they did it surreptitiously like during the night to begin with. And in my brother's case, he said, well, he consented. What do you mean he consented? He he didn't he didn't even know where he was at that point. And that's and so consider yourself lucky, Karen. But there's so yeah. many people that have not because we you know, yeah. we knew, but my brother just was yeah. out of it. He kept saying he couldn't remember Remdesivir, the name. I said, don't let them give you that. But so, but yeah. you know, it, it is what it is. And of course, in Rob's case, he was, uh, he was put into an induced coma, right? So he wasn't, yeah, even he, he was before the induced coma, he was telling these doctors and even, even in the record, it says, it even said his wife, it said wife, uh, thinks we're trying to kill her, hurt her husband. Well, yeah. And they did. <laughs> and then Rob was saying to me, the doctors are all disagreeing with each other. Um, yeah. Uh, he said, disagreeing uh, with him. yeah, disagreeing with him. And then he said, uh, they're trying everything they can to get me to intubate in the record. You can see waking him up in the middle of the night, every single night. I mean, taking him off D uh, uh, full code, not, not full code. He had a band on his arm. I, I would love to know who cut that band off his arm because they, they kicked him out of the ICU on the uh, September 5th. And he got, he got room this severe, office record or office, you know, office chart for one day successfully. And um, I, I thought he was safe. I thought, you know, he was getting oxygen. That's all he needed. That's all we didn't have is oxygen. I wish the frontline doctors would have prescribed me oxygen instead of telling me to take him to the ER. Yeah. And it's, it's you. Uh, and I, I, I can't stress enough that if you can keep your loved one out of the hospital for any reason at all, because once they get in, yeah. The quarantine sticks in. They they said they had and all they did that with my brother. They killed him in two weeks. I mean, there's only but so I think but I I don't think I would have been able to see him for 21 days. But he died before I could see him. That's what happens once they get him in there. They have armed guards at the door. I don't know about now. They, yeah, they did they with me. Yeah, so they do with you. So you, it's hard to monitor this stuff um, remotely. You're not there. How I don't know how if you how successful maybe you would even be if you were there. But obviously much better because you could kind of see what was going on. But your interaction with the doctors is so bad. And White Wolf here talks about modern doctors like butchers. I mean, I, I, I can't, I, I would tell you stories of what I saw, you know, 44 years working for the medical industrial complex and, and about 15, no, 20 some years of that were, were inside a hospital uh, working in IT, but I was, I saw a lot and just seeing the insensitivity where well, you talked about brought back. So I remember one time I saw nurses joking around on the night shift uh, about a boy that was being brought into pee, a boy, you know, kid or kid was being brought into pediatrics. And so we're already full. He was going into surgery and, the, and he, they just, he would just joke with the surgeons. We don't try too hard. We already, we're already full down there. That kind of black humor where you can yeah. even joke about the lives. I saw nurses say, I wish he'd die when patients screaming. I mean, you know, they think, they think you can see, I, I saw so many things there. So what you experienced is not that unusual. It's just it's nothing that, new. It's nothing new. COVID just gave them, yeah, just yeah, gave them a blank check. That's all it yes, is. It's been going on for years. And Rob knew that too. He hated the medical system. And, and let's talk about what what they made on Rob. What they made on brother. As soon as they uh, they 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 diagnosed him with, they gave him the PCR uh, test. It's ninety percent yeah, false positive. Test, right. Yeah. So they gave him that. So once he gets a, a positive test, that's thirteen thousand dollars for a hospital. Once they put him on the ventilator, they, they tried desperately against your wishes and against his wishes. That's $39,000. 17 times documented in the record. He even had a band on his arm that said DNI, and they still did it. No consent. No, no, no signature in the record. No signature in the record. In fact, I have two letters at the very end of the book that shows that they admitted that they, that they did the consent wrong. They're, they admitted that they... 
they signed verbal. They didn't, they didn't get his signature. They didn't get my uh, consent. And they said they, I don't remember how it's worded, but it's in the book. It's in the last couple of pages. And um, I don't know. It's just, it's just. Yeah. I want to talk about the difference between wishes and directives. Okay. Right. In the hospital record, they said that Sheila and Rob wished not to be ventilated and they called it wishes. We don't wish we are not dropping pennies and then wishing well. They made directives, do not intubate, no ventilation, no remdesivir, and they turned those into wishes. And so I want to read to you Title 42 of the Code of Federal Regulations, Section 482.13. It states the patient or his or her representative, as allowed under state law, has the right to make informed decisions regarding his or her care. The patient's rights include being informed of his or her health status, being involved in care planning and treatment, and being able to request or refuse treatment. They denied this basic patient rights. Yeah, they they have refused to give Rob and Sheila any rights. She had a power of attorney, and they denied her power of attorney. And then when he was ventilated and could not speak for himself, they still denied her power of attorney all the way through 40 days. Yeah. Even though she said no remdesivir, they still gave him remdesivir after her explicit directive as his medical power of attorney and decision maker while he was unconscious, sedated and paralyzed. They still gave him remdesivir and she finally got them to stop. And you can see we have a good number of redacted hospital records in the book in an appendix, very clearly documented with post-it notes on top that show how deadly this protocol is and what's really going on. As I said, it's very well documented, but you could see in the records, their frustration at his yeah. refusal and her refusal. And then they even said that as if it's an excuse for why he eventually died after 40 days, non-compliant with medications. The only thing that was non-compliant was one time he was able to stop them from giving him this deadly medication called remdesivir. And that one time when he was able to refuse it, when, as Sheila said, they moved him out of the ICU to another floor, a regular ward, and then they drug him back in the ICU to finish him off. But while he was uh, out of the ICU, he skipped one dose of remdesivir. And because of that, when they started him back on it again, when he got back in the ICU against his will, they gave him another starter dose, which is a double dose of this drug. Well, what, what, what really is incredible, and I, I think it's great that you show that, is that uh, it's not just, yes, this is motivated by money, but the, the heartlessness and the insensitivity that you, you experienced from everybody. And I, I saw that over and over again. You know, it's not, not doctors, bedside manners, nurses. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I was around many, many nurses during my time, and a majority of them were bitches. I'm sorry, well, they just were. They, they were, and I'll tell you, yeah. there's there's something that we uh, we found, and I've kind of modified it. It's called the script of death. And so the reason why I started to record the calls is because I had a call from Rob, and uh, I I answered it, and I thought it was him, but it was a doctor at his bedside yelling at him and yelling at me that he needed to be put on a ventilator. This day too. <sighs> yelling at me that if I wanted my husband to live, he needed to be put on a ventilator. I yeah. said, no, we've done the research. He doesn't need a ventilator. His oxygen is at 96%. No, he doesn't. You know, and I was trying to get through to this doctor that no, he didn't want it. I didn't want it. And he said, do you want your husband to die? And my mom and sister were there. They were mortified of the uh, doctor talking to the, yeah. uh, to the family in front of the patient. 
you know, who's having trouble, you know, coughing and stuff and, you know, just heartless, heartless. So anybody who's still working in a hospital, in my opinion, is part of is they they're in on it. They're in on it. Yeah. Well, they have to they have to, you know, uh, most of them are especially the nurses are uh, they're just like the sheeple politically. They're following the protocol. And, you know, they're it, it's not like a, a, one nurse can fight it or whatever. They, they just fire her or whatever, and bring somebody else in. But uh, so it's it's a very it's a difficult problem because we talked about lawsuits and um, there is that lawsuit that the doctors have started against. The th I think uh, somebody, Karen or somebody in the, in the ch um, chat was saying they knew the three hospitals that are being sued, the class action lawsuit. But as you said, who do you sue? Because this is it's the, you're suing the medical industrial complex, basically, because it's everybody there. It wasn't just one doctor. It wasn't just one nurse. Everybody. You met the same kind of. Uh, resistance everywhere mm -hmm. you went and they all there was a unanimity of opinion there is this joke about getting a second opinion i mean there's a unanimity of opinion in the medical community they don't they they go by the protocol this is and that's all they kept telling you there's no outside the box thinking like it would be difficult to inject you know a vitamin c that that would be they, they cited the cost to you of that with with what the kind of expenses you're ringing up at eight hundred thousand dollar bill so are are you is there a thought that there could be a lawsuit? Because, you know, I, I'm waiting to see if enough people jump on and there's a class action lawsuit. I, I will jump in on behalf of my brother. I mean, they're not going to get any money out of it. No. Maybe you make a point. Is, is there a thought that you might do that down the road? You know, my my biggest um, goal is to save lives. I want to see lives saved. I want to wake people up. There's so many right. people with their head in the sand. They think their loved one died of COVID. They didn't die of COVID. They died of the protocols. Um, it killed 1.2 million people in the in the United States. It's the number one country that people died of COVID. It, they didn't die of COVID. They died of overdoses of medications. I was screaming at them from the top of my lungs every day I was there because Rob was very anti-pharmacia. He hated drugs. He didn't want any drugs. He would barely take an aspirin. He was anti-drug. And so when they kept adding one on top of another on top of another, I mean, causing this infection, that infection, it's like, you know, all these antibiotics, it's like, you know, he lived 40 days. I mean, and that's a biblical number. I have to believe that the father doesn't allow these things. I mean, he, it passes through his hands. There's, there's a destiny in this. And I know that it's for a purpose. Rob had a huge audience and I, I felt obligated to tell the story. Everybody kept asking me what happened to Rob, what happened to Rob. And I mean, at first I was just broken and I couldn't really talk to anybody as broke down and thank God for Roberta and Ellen who, you know, helped me get through the summary first. And then we started going through each page and every day we would learn a new, a new discrepancy. And so we would put it in the book and we just kept, you know, doing it day by day. And I feel like a big relief that it's done. But I will say this script of death is like pretty much their playbook. They do this to every single patient. They isolate them. They deny them food and water. They, uh, they, um, they intimidate them. They dehumanize them. They, they lie to the families. They tell you they're, that they're doing good when they're, you know, when they're about to do something dangerous, it's going to, you know, really injure the patient. They neglect them. They, I mean, it's on and on and on. This is exactly the same story I've heard from every family member that has yeah. also lost a loved one like yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's very, I mean, I don't, again, my brother had no symptoms when he went in there, but then he just went down so fast. And so I, they could have been starving him for the last I'm week sure they more. were. I don't know because I wouldn't. I wasn't able to talk to him. And you can uh, still get the record. You can. I mean, if you're if you're interested. I mean, the record is your. Yeah, right? I thought of that. I, I thought of that. I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I. I. And I. I. I mean, I had so. I. I know what happened. As I've said, mm -hmm. you know that uh, they murdered him 
they were really what they did. They, they, they might as well have just, you know, smothered them with the pillows yeah, or something. And, not- and that's what they did to your husband as well. They just took longer to do it. And he suffered even more. Although I don't, you know, if he was unconscious, maybe hopefully he didn't suffer that much, but um, it's just unconscionable what's going on. And, and they don't show any signs of changing the protocol. I don't know what's like in the hospitals now, because obviously, you know, they're, 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 I think they ended, didn't, didn't COVID end a couple of days ago? They, that's what they said. But I did mm-hmm. call up there. They're still using remdesivir if it's a COVID and you know, those PCR tests are bogus. So yes. they're still, that's the still number one uh, drug for stupid COVID. I mean, it's, it, it kills yes. you. We had a scientist on one of the shows weaponized news and, and he has broken it down to the molecular level and it literally causes hypoxia. It literally causes you to not be able to breathe. I mean, it's insidious. It's just barbaric. I can't think of the words bad enough to tell people, uh, wake up. You know, I mean, I've had people say, don't write a book. Don't, you know, why are you wasting your time? It's because I want people to wake up. I want to see lives saved. I just, of course. Well, yeah, sure. You want to, cause we're, you know, we, we, I mean, I've, I've had a, a lot of books published. I have more coming out and we're not making that much money on them. But uh, the idea is to try to maybe get the information out there. In this case, try to expose. Uh, I felt obligated. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think you, Rob you, wrote books. Rob wrote t- uh, eight books, and he's yeah. Well, he's this was this was up. probably a, a labor of love in a twisted way because you were kind of, you yeah. were telling what happened to him, and you probably mm-hmm. felt him. You've probably felt his presence when you were writing it because you're you know this is all about him. Well, he he was on a quest for truth, and that's kind of the tagline of his life. I mean, he was. He, he loved to study scripture and loved to study history. And he uncovered a lot of, he connected the dots for a lot of people. And our, our son has taken it upon himself to try to further that legacy with a, a show on YouTube called Skiba News Nation. And it's, uh, it's also, so Quest for Truth is our continuing Rob's legacy. I focus more on the book because I lived through it. They never let my, our son say goodbye. I mean, that's so sick. Yeah. I mean, even though they said, you know, they would only allow two visitors when it was near death, you know, that's how they keep you and, out. And that's, and that's what they did with me too. My wife and I saw him, you know, the, and when he was unconscious, but I, I feel that too, that I never got to say goodbye to him because he went so yeah, quickly. Yeah, because he was unconscious. Probably. I, I did. And, and you, and you had the same way. You didn't know when, when the last, I can't remember the last conversation I had with my brother. I don't know if you can with Rob. Well, you documented it. I was on the phone. Before. Yeah. Well, I, I talked to him on the 7th of, um, the seventh. No, I talked to him on the eighth, the eighth of September, the day that they did a four and a half hour BiPAP on him, which was okay. contraindicated yeah. because he had a pneumomediastinum, which right. we believe after looking at the records damaged him where he couldn't right. really breathe. And then maybe he I don't think he ever agreed to be put on a ventilator. I think he went down punching. But uh, oh, yeah, we'll never know. We'll never know until, you know, till we're reunited. But um, I wanted to show this the Nuremberg Code since Rob brought this up in his last uh, conference uh, last year was a 75th anniversary. There's like 1300 people uh, in the United States that have a medical ethics title. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody was brought it up. I, it took yeah. me forever to find this in print to the Holocaust survivor uh, to do something about this on the 75th anniversary. I think that's pretty telling. And the NIH, uh, the person in charge of medical ethics at that organization is, do you know who that is? Guess who? Dr. Fauci's wife. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Oh, it's disgusting. It's yeah. so disgusting. It's like there's no such thing as medical ethics. It's an no. oxymoron. Well, we, you know, I'm sure Rob probably talked about that. We, you know, with uh, Dr. Fauci's history with AIDS was where we saw right. so many similarities there where he thousands of people died unnecessarily because he pushed that uh, rejected cancer drug, uh, AZT. 
on people. And, and oh, just like uh, the PCR tests, they went and got the uh, HIV test, which is as meaningless as the PCR it test. 90% false positive. They were no symptoms. Start taking the AZT, you die. And so it's, and, but yeah, nobody sure. talks about that. Nobody talks about that. And he's you know, still there. And as you look at the book, those of you that choose to buy it, I think you'll find it very eye-opening. I mean, it reads as a true crime docudrama or as a legal brief uh, as well, and a body of evidence through the appendices, which are extremely thorough. But you'll notice that one of the first things that happened is the evening he arrived in the emergency department, a nurse practitioner said while his oxygen had gone into the high 90s on high flow nasal cannula oxygen, said candidate for intubation. He hadn't even been there 24 hours. He was still in the emergency department, had not yet been admitted, and they say candidate for intubation. And instead of admitting him to a standard floor with high flow nasal cannula oxygen, adequately nourishing him and giving him hydration because he hadn't eaten for about a week because he couldn't, so he was already near starvation, which they totally ignored. That's in the book. But instead, they admitted him to the ICU unnecessarily so they could then begin the protocol on him. And in answer to Felix's question, Yes. yes, Sheila decided, and it's mentioned in the book, that she would want to fund a private mm -hmm. autopsy on Rob. And that helped a lot. Uh, My son insisted on it. My son is into true crime. He said, you have to because they killed him. We have to have mm -hmm. proof. And the doctor that did the interim analysis said it's a good thing we did because it, it didn't show COVID at all. Right. I mean, of course, after 40 days, COVID had run its course. But guess what they want to put on their certificate by the CDC guidelines is if anybody's even exposed to COVID without even a positive yeah. test, if they died of a heart attack or any yes. other issue, they still have to put COVID as a primary cause, which is just to pump up the numbers to fear the public into thinking that they need a jab to protect them, even though that jab doesn't provide any level of protection from getting it, spreading it or dying of it. But Rob was unvaxxed. That's another thing we think made him a target is they yeah. put it in all bold caps throughout the records, which again yeah. is in the appendix. You'll be able to see that. <laughs> they talked about him being unvaccinated as if, well, here's a person we can make an example of. And it, it, it's just awful. No, it's, it's, it's but I, um, I, I, talk, I think I talked to you guys on the phone earlier about uh, um, yeah, here's FEMA. And I know you, and, and you, Okay. See what page I was going to show that this is one of the medical record pages, and you can see the actual record is here, and you can see exactly what they said. We've redacted the names, but I'm just saying these are the actual hospital record pages. Well, I, I, I noticed that in the book that you and you have very creative names, Doctor Killer, Doctor, you know, <laughs> it's a great names, and, they're, they're, and it's it's very uh, appropriate, obviously. But uh, have you? Did you? If you thought if you didn't if you didn't name the actual hospital. Are the actual doctors involved? Did you think that they might sue you or something? Why did you go for that that route? The reason I did that is because it's a universal story. Rob is a face of thousands. I wanted other people like yourself and other people who have had loved ones die from this to relate to the story because they had a doctor wicked. They had a doctor dead in. They had a nurse, yes. with, you know, whatever. And um, it's a universal story. And if I had put their real names, they might not have connected to to the story in their own lives. So that's and why we chose that. And we're not attacking the individuals per se, though we do believe they are complicit right. and that they're guilty, but we're attacking the protocol. And that's why yeah. it's called the protocol that kills. As one person said, well, why didn't you just fire your doctors? You have the right to do that. Did you know that you can fire your doctors, but you cannot fire the protocol? One of right. the people said to us, 
If you fire the doctors, they're going to bring in another set of doctors. They're going to follow the very same, same protocol. They golf together. Yeah. They yes. go to country clubs together. They're all being incentivized by the very same protocol. And whether the doctors got a specific bonus or not, we know the government paid the incentives to the hospital, and it certainly ingratiated them to their employer, so to speak, although they may be private contractors and they bill separately. Just having hospital admission privileges and being in the good graces of the board of the hospital, the medical board, is certainly to their benefit. So one way or the other, incentivized medicine has been going on for decades and decades, and it will continue for decades. And so this is not a book specifically about one specific virus that's come and gone. No, this is about an insidious system that is designed to incentivize certain methods of care that can be deadly. Lethal. Lethal. And so- They've been killing people for years. They've been killing people for years. They torture most old people until they die. And make them- eye-opening to read this book. That's all I can tell you. All right, so well, we, it, had, it, it, we had Nazi doctors following holocaustic, protocols that killed 12 million people. And I want to read a poem that I wrote. It's in this book. It's in the book. It's called A Modern Day Dr. Mengele. A modern day Dr. Yeah. Mengele with no mercy to spare. In ICU rooms, he lingers, a monster beyond compare. With hissing ventilators and upside down beds, he creates a death camp where the sick and dying are led. He experiments on the helpless with a cruel and heartless hand, ignoring their pain, ignoring their cries, tearing lives apart with his plan. A monster in disguise, a predator in white, his evil deeds a stain on the world, a terror in sight. But still we fight, we resist his hold, for our lives are precious, our stories untold. And in the face of evil, we will not back down, for our will is strong and our spirit is sound. We rise up with a voice that is true, and we fight for life with all we can do. For we will not be silenced, and we will not cave in. We will live on with hope to his chagrin. So it's not over. It's not a story, your brother's story. We're all fighting together in unity. Absolutely. We're waking up. Yeah. We're becoming one. And we're hoping to take this system and revitalize it. Take it down, revitalize it, and renewal. Well, you know, Ron Johnson has actually held a Senate hearing twice now on these protocols. And mm -hmm. there was actually a nurse in one of the Senate hearings that was held in January of 2022. And in that hearing, she said her name is Nicole Siratek, and she was one of the yes. uh, nurses in New York City. She was a critical care flight nurse trained with ventilators. And she said following orders, the doctors doing that, has led to the sheer number of deaths that have occurred in these hospitals. I didn't. And she said this in the Senate testimony. I didn't see a single patient die of COVID. I've seen a substantial number of patients die of negligence and medical malfeasance. And so we, we believe that if people will read this and take this to heart, and we like maybe Ron Johnson needs to hold another hearing, not just on how COVID was handled and on the jabs, which he's done both, but on these protocols themselves. Yes. This well, book could... as part of a Senate record. It is one of the most detailed books you'll ever read on a topic of this type. 
This should be a part of the Senate record and be presented as evidence in a Senate hearing that puts a stop to this madness. And I don't mean just government incentivized medications and therapies like, you know, medications, meaning the drug remdesivir and therapies like ventilators. But I'm talking about just the overall insidiousness of an incentivized system that's gone on for decades and will continue for decades, where what's being done to patients is not in their best interest, but in the best interest of the bottom line of the facility. Right. Sure. Well, we and know we found it. out, Sheila, that because hospitals become corporate and owned by non-medical personnel, mm-hmm. that their their passion is not for patients. The profit. It's a profit. It's a profit. Well, you find. I mean, and again, I find uh, from personal experience, I, I I saw very little indication that people within the hospital setting, both my personal experience with my parents, my sister, and people like that, and uh, just from what I saw. You know, walking around as an employee, you really see things behind the scenes. And uh, I saw just an uncaring, you know, an insensitivity. And before COVID, they told you, not a conspiracy theorist, they told you that the medical industrial complex, doctors and hospitals were the third leading cause of death in America. That yeah. was an I, I submit that because of all the who knows how many deaths were have been caused by the vaccines that they won't admit and mm-hmm. how many deaths happened to people like your husband my brother and who knows how many thousands of that millions of others they're not acknowledging that were their responsibility. I think they may very well be the number one. Oh, I believe it cause. is. Yeah. They've been always been number one. They've always been number one. It's not heart disease. They cause heart disease or they mm-hmm. cause trouble with the pharmacia, the pharmaceutical drugs. Yeah. The chemotherapy. People don't live because of it. They live in spite of it. They're, that's not doing anything to help you. One of the challenges in a hospital, and I used to be a medic in the U.S. Air Force. I've worked ICU, so I'm not totally anti-physicians. I did in this very same hospital where Rob, we believe, was murdered. In this very same hospital, I went many years ago, and I had an appendectomy. And there's no such thing as an at-home appendectomy kit. So no matter what my medical knowledge may be, there's no way I could fix that problem. And luckily, the doctor I was with, it was pre COVID era, knew exactly what to do, laparoscopically saved my life. And so I'm not totally anti hospitals or anti doctors myself, because I have somewhat of a medical background, but I am anti heartlessness, nefariousness, or willful negligence and ignorance. I mean, the fact that Rob was not fed and nourished while he was there, you can read this in the book. I'm not going to go into the details, but it's horrific what they neglected it's not just what they did but what they neglected and the problem i was getting at here is that in hospitals unfortunately it's as if you went to a buffet and it's a chinese buffet and you say well i really want barbecued chicken and pizza and they go why did you come to a chinese buffet if that's what you want and that's the way the hospitals are today they say well wait a minute why did you come here if you didn't want to be assaulted by yes. hypotoxic and hepatotoxic, liver toxic and kidney toxic medications. If that's not why you, what you want, why did you come in here? Because that's the standard of fare. That's what's on the buffet. Oh, meals, hydration. No, 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 no. That's not our problem. If you're too weak to order meals or if you did accidentally order one, you're too weak to feed yourself. We're not letting your wife in to help you eat. We're just going to let you starve yourself into submission. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, this care. When I got in, it was so disgusting and dirty and the light was off. I cringe to think almost every day, what did they do to him in that 21 days? Because when I got there and I took pictures of everything, it was disgusting. I mean, it was like white film on the, and he was in one of those. Anyway, it's all in the book, pictures of everything. It's just, it's just, I hope there's a attorney out there that can take this evidence and do something with it to better the system. I don't know. 
Well, you would think if enough people go through this, but people just... Obviously, you heard enough of this from Rob, the work he was doing, but I don't have very much of a, a high opinion on the uh, intelligence of the American people because they just they just take it and take it and take yeah. it. They're in a permanent bent over posture. But I, I was uh, really uh, amazed at how and I, I thought about this myself. The medical community is so um, they bend over backwards to scare you and fear mm -hmm. porn. And you, you were you were trying to get them to say something optimistic to him, especially. Yeah. And you and they just wouldn't do it. No. I mean, that's, you know, power of positive thinking and all that. Where where is that? But in the medical community, they they're do. monsters. They're monsters. Yes. They, I don't I don't know any other way to describe them. That's why people that uh, I'm astounded at people that still have confidence in the system. Because, I, again, I worked in it. I saw what they did with my parents and now they killed my brother. I have a, the lowest opinion possible. These are the worst people on earth. But, you know, I'm sure there are exceptions like uh, Alan mentioned. I mean, there are, there are good ones, I guess, like in anything. But they're so outnumbered. And even if they were, in this case, if you had had one honest doctor, what could he have done? He could, they would, the hospital wouldn't, they, wouldn't have allowed him to break the protocol. Certainly a nurse wouldn't have been allowed to. But I went to the same thing with ivermectin. I wanted to bring it into the hospital and give it to my brother. No, we, absolutely. Iver, ivermectin is forbidden in this facility. Yeah, they told and, me that. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, again, why? The worst it could do is not work, right? So I had incentives. When you, it's a conflict of interest. When you have yes. incentives and, and you pay them big bucks for these other alternative, then, they, then they're going to do the one that makes them the most money. It's a conflict of interest. It should be against the law. Right. The worst that ivermectin could do is that he would get better. Yeah, exactly. That's what they would not want. They, he was like a, a, a piece of meat in a bed with a dollar sign on his head, unfortunately. That's, right. that's how Absolutely. they thought. And I was going to have him moved early on, and they knew that. And I believe that's why they did what they did, because they knew that we were actively looking for another facility that would give him vitamin C and give him vitamin D. And and we had a whole team of people. Even on the, the 27th, we had an intervention meeting, and no matter how close we got to moving him, it was always held with resistance or they add another drug and they jack him up more. I mean, every single time. So yeah, it's, and, and, and there's a reason why they do the quarantining, which is a joke. Mm -hmm. It's to keep the loved ones away. And uh, in the case, in our, in our cases, mm -hmm. it, it was one of the main reasons they died because if we had been there directly, we would have been able to watch what they were doing to stop it, to try to advocate for them. Or if, what were like at, at what point? I don't even know. With and I worked in a hospital for many years. I don't. I don't have so many laws now. But at, at what point, especially before Rob, while he was still conscious, are there laws where you couldn't have legally taken him? Like you could have just said, I, "I'm taking him home." Well, I guess you couldn't because I mean, they wouldn't let you in. I wonder, you know, if he had said, you know, "Come get me," I would have beat the door down. I mean, I don't care if yeah. they take, took me to jail. I don't. I wouldn't have cared. I mean, but he never told me, "Come get me." So I, I, I wonder about that very question. If I had tried, would they have even let me? Because, I mean, today they're still doing uh, hospital rescues. I'm sure you've yeah. heard of that. Yes. Where yeah. these people change their mind and they can't get out unless there's people like waiting at the exit, you know, to yeah. in a van to get them out of there. It's crazy. Yeah. Cause you, it, it is like prisons. You mentioned being prison. Brothers Grimm uh, show is what, what is this? What's your son's channel again? He wants to subscribe. Oh, Skiba News Nation. Ski S K I B A News Nation. Skiba News Nation. Check to that word. You have a lot of comments yeah, news, here. News and history, and it, it's kind of furthering Rob's legacy, and um, it's a real blessing to me. Yeah, and if Sheila had brought Rob home without supplemental oxygen, 
he would have died. And, right. and I know that. So she did try to find another facility that might provide her with visitation yeah. privileges, but mm -hmm. that, that you'll read in the book how all that went. Uh, and, and actually my, a brief part of my story is in the book. I didn't want my pictures in there, but they're there. Uh, mm -hmm. Me on the floor. But uh, I ended up getting, this was, what happened to Rob was September 3rd of 2021 is what we're talking about, is when he was admitted. And on October 13th of 2021, 40 days later, is when Sheila saw them do the play acting CPR on her husband yeah. with Roberta actually at her side. Another reason we were so involved uh, in this story. Mm -hmm. Been there from the beginning somewhat. Uh, but what happened to me is in February of 2022, I came down with COVID and it kicked my butt. I ended up with a fever of 105. I ended up with double pneumonia. I could not breathe. I know I used to be a runner, so I understand lung capacity. And I could tell I didn't have but a third of my lung capacity. My oxygen was dropping like Rob's down into the 50s. Now, I was not going to go to the hospital. So I thought I'm going to die at home or, you know, or, or I'm going to live at home. But luckily, because we have a health clinic, and it's not something you can just go down to the corner drugstore and pick one up. You have to have a prescription to get one normally. But we did have a five liter per minute oxygen concentrator, which can get your oxygen levels on nasal cannula oxygen up to 40 percent, which is about double the normal ambient air oxygen percentage, which is 21 percent. And that's how I survived. But I tell you, I struggled. Donald, I struggled for nine days on the floor. At three days, I had to be actually in a downward dog position on my knees and elbows to get the heart off the lungs to get my oxygen above 90. It but was Roberta was there and Roberta spoon fed him and Roberta gave him hydration. They they didn't let me do that. They didn't give me the right. Yes. So that's why he's alive. And if they had just let Sheila in the hospital to be his advocate, and this is another sad part you'll read in the beginning of the book. Rob said, as they wheel him away, if they won't let you in here to be my advocate, I will yeah. die in here. He yeah. knew that. He was well aware of that. He did not know she'd be stripped away from him. And so anyway, I, luckily I survived, but only because I had a caregiver at my side that cared about hydration and nourishment. If I, I, could, I didn't have any hunger, I didn't have, I, I didn't want to eat, but I was force fed by my wife so that I could regain the strength to survive and to uh, be able to heal. And these nurses didn't care. I mean, they even in the record didn't order from, didn't order a meal today. They didn't care. They, they just put it in the record, didn't order no, a meal. And you, you have, you obviously, the, the deep love you had for your husband obviously comes out through loud and clear in this book and you tried as hard as you possibly could. So I hope you don't blame yourself. Cause I, don't I was know what losing else you... my mind. I was breaking yeah. things. My family didn't understand. Sure. She, they sure. didn't understand half of what Rob and I knew his family didn't either. Um, well, of course anyway. that's, it, it's most, <laughs> we all deal with that. Believe me, my son is the only one in my entire large family that's even, uh, that's awake. And uh, you know, it, they all think, uh, they, like there, all the interviews I've done like this, and I've interviewed several other people like this. The same thing happened to my, my brother. They don't watch these shows, and if they did, it wouldn't imprint. They, they think he died of COVID, and basically, I think they blame me because he wasn't vaccinated. I know that's so ridiculous to me. Yeah. It's because they're suppressing the truth of how many people are dying of the jab. You know, there's so yeah. many people dying of the jab right now. Five year olds having heart attacks. That's not natural. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's going to come to when these people are going to wake up see. The, our whole uh, life as we know it is soon to change because of all the deaths of the jab. Um, anyway, because Rob thought, you know, they would live maybe three years. I mean, it changes your genetics as it was in the days of Noah. So will it be when the son of man appears? I mean, we're living in these times. I mean, I think well, I'm going to see Rob sooner than later. So, I mean, on a, on the bright side, at least he doesn't have to go through this hell that we're that we're facing. You know, well, spe speaking of, of families, because, again, you know, my family's become fractured over this. I, you know, my my kids and I are the only ones that aren't vaccinated. 
uh, we didn't get to go to one wedding. We were basically banned unless we got vaccinated. So we didn't go to my juice's wedding. Um, how you talk about your mom and your sister, uh, have they, after what happened to Rob, have they, oh, yeah. they, have they, they been, they, a, have they been awakened? Oh, they have, they have. I oh, mean, and they, they were very anti, you know, jab before they knew a lot of the things that Rob taught about, they, they, they believed in, but they didn't think that these doctors were murderers. I did. Rob did. They didn't until they murdered him. And then they refused to tell me how he died at the end. And the lady, and back to the story at the beginning, the one that told me you don't get it until discharge. When I asked her, how did he die? She said, oh, I wasn't here. Log into my chart. And guess what? When I got <laughs> home that night, logged in and it shut down and I've still not been able to get it. Now I got the medical record, but still my chart is a little bit different. And, you know, that really shows you the hearts of these people. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing and they're lying to families. Well, Christy, Christy. I'm just Christy Ripperger over here in Rockfin uh, has a great suggestion. She thinks we need to bring back the nuns and the missionaries to care for uh, sick people uh, and allow facilities that don't exist for profit to exist. So that certainly would have probably not. changed a lot of this because they wouldn't have had a financial incentive to do some of the things they did. Oh, no. right? This hospital was a nonprofit. So it doesn't make any sense. And it's worth. Oh, the, yeah. But they still you that's know, where the elite launder their money. Yes. Yes. It's they a still big joke. Yeah, yeah, they, they could have saved Rob's life. There's no question. If they simply gave him oxygen, steroids for inflammation and antibiotics because he did have possible double pneumonia, then he would have survived. But instead, they forced this protocol on him. They forced the remdesivir and many other drugs. It's all spelled out in the book. You'd have to look okay. at it. And you mentioned, Donald, people that are in denial. Erin Oslewski, who wrote Undercover Epicenter Nurse about her experience, said, I can't tell you how many people I've seen in hospitals across the country who would rather live in denial than admit to themselves that their loved one is dying unnecessarily, yeah. especially in America. Many people would rather live in the comfortable bubble of ignorance than look evil in the eye. And yeah. I'll tell you right now, if you read this book, you're going to be looking evil in the eye. And I highly encourage people to go to theprotocolthatkills.com. And if you saw our preview in the beginning, the promo, and you didn't hear it, you'll see it right there on the homepage. You got to pick up a copy and read this. It'll open your eyes and you'll be looking evil in the eyes you read it. And if you have family that aren't convinced, if they were to read this, they would be convinced because it's a day by day journal along with the legal counsel and the actual um, hospital records that you can't deny. The truth Absolutely. is. Absolutely. But getting people to <laughs> getting people to look at it, and there's such a bias. And I don't know how bad the, because I, I can't believe it's just like my family's experiences with the medical industrial complex have always been so awful. It's just us, you know, because I hear people talk it up and I'm thinking, I don't know what doctors you're getting. I don't know what hospitals you're going to, but I, I hear so many horror stories. What does it take for people? They have, it's the white coat bias. They trust these figures. And I, I you know, I, I don't understand it because they're most of the time they're nasty. They're mean spirited. They, they don't have compassion. They're dealing with, I once saw in the hospital and I, 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 I was young, but I, I uh, really feel guilty still that I didn't speak up for this woman, this poor woman's. And I saw these things behind the scenes and I see you as an old lady, her daughter had died. So her daughter's body was still there. You could see the body and she was inconsolable. And I guess she had no other family and the nursing staff were bullying her said, you have to go home. You have to leave. And they were being really mean. And, and so, and security was coming to escort her. And I, I didn't have the balls, you know, as I, I didn't want to lose my job because I knew I would. And I, but I, I thought, God, look at that, what they're doing. And they, they treat people like that all the time. There are people who just lost a loved one. 
You need to be extra sensitive. But you you talk about the chaplain. The chaplain was insensitive oh, no. to you, right? Oh, they good. don't care until he died. Then they show up. It's like, you know, they, they don't. I don't know how they sleep at night. I really don't. I don't I don't know how these people sleep at night. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, I don't think we need to be on the on the defense. We need to be on the offense. They should be scared of us. You know, um, it, it, if enough of us wake up, Rob always said there's more of us than there are of them. Yes. And hopefully yes. we can create a movement. I don't know if you're familiar with Scott Shera. They killed his 19 uh, year old daughter that had Down syndrome. Precious oh, yes, yes, yes. I did hear about and that. Yeah. He's yeah. my hero. I love this man. And I've kind of used him as an example, you know, as I'm learning. Rob was the media guy. You know, he did all the interviews. I never did. I was always behind the scenes. But um, that man is, 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 he said his daughter had to die to wake him up. And he's an, ad, he's an activist. Every day he does a show and he just put out a video yesterday that was, powerful it's on skiba news nation my son uh, mirrored it but uh he has the documents that show uh the the details of how this actually became uh operatable or whatever he has the documents in obamacare that allowed them to do this his daughter was euthanized they gave her seven doses of presidix they put yeah. a dnr on her the parents were on a zoom call with the sister and they were saying resuscitate her and they wouldn't do it they just killed her, flat out killed her. And so he's got a lawsuit. Yeah. And I encourage everybody out there to pray for him, for him and his family because uh, there needs to be a change. People need to wake up and see these doctors in white coats are like, I named the hospital COVID coven of Plano yeah. because they're like, they're like warlocks. They're, I don't know what they do at night. It's weird. And his daughter died October 13th of 2021. Same day, same same day. day as Rob. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. So you have a, you have a, Definitely have a share. Kind of, I did hear about that case. There's so many, uh, yeah. and I'll be. Ta I hope you guys read my book. My uh, my book, my new book is coming out uh, within a couple of weeks, probably. Uh, Masking the truth: How COVID-19 destroyed civil liberties and shut down the world. It's got a forward by Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Oh yeah, so, very, very very proud of it. And uh, it's my I, son will uh, interview you on his show. Oh, I, I'd yeah. love to. Just have him look me up. You know, I, sure. I uh, I'm going to be doing lots of interviews, and I uh, I wish I had known. Uh, enough about your story i would have included it in there i would included a couple other people's because your story is really uh moving and especially because rob and i kind of were in the same world um mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh <clears throat> the things we cover and uh you know there's and i i can't maybe somebody in the chat room remember there's another uh guy that was uh he was over at tfr with me uh that died of uh covid oh west is dark Who's that? Russ Dizdar. Russ Dizdar and his wife died a week after Rob, and they were from Ohio, and Rob had just gotten back from Ohio. Well, that, that, yeah, that may be somebody else. This, God, I can't believe I can't think of this guy's name. Uh, but there, it was another, again, that, that did a show, and uh, same kind of thing, went in the hospital. And what, what I really, you know, were, think about is, like, in, in case of my brother, I was his, you know, his kid, really the only one that gave him crap about him, really. And uh, without me, he would have been completely alone. And I know there's lots of other people like that too, that don't have someone like you, that even though you're not allowed to get in there, you're calling constantly and you're telling them not to, there's lots of lonely people that get in there and they, they probably, I guess, kill them incredibly fast because there's nobody advocating for them. There's nobody even calling up. So who knows how many people like that, that there's so many people that live alone. It's so and, sad. It is that, so sad. That don't have to. What, to the point about what Kat just said, um, and I feel for you is Sheila yes, and Roberta met with a lady today. And I want to just tell you a little of her story, whose father died in the same ICU during the same week that Rob was there. They were there on the same floor at the same time with some of the same physicians and exact same protocol took his life. And she has horrible guilt to, that she's trying to live with. And 
uh, Sheila and Roberta met with her today and gave her a copy of the book. But the reason we found about her is she happened to be my hygienist at a dentist office. And she asked me, what are you working on? And I've never had a hygienist in, in my life ask me that. And I thought, well, that's an interesting question. I said, well, I'm working on helping to write as a co-author a story about a murder. And she said, oh. And I said, it happened to be at a hospital. And I thought that'd be the end of the conversation. She said, what hospital? And when I told her the name of the hospital, she said, oh, my Lord, they murdered my father. When? And I said, well, it was October 13th of 2021. That She said, you're kidding me. That's when my father was murdered. Wow. What, are the what are the chances? Yeah. yeah. So we're not making this up. And this yeah. is not it's not going to end. And that's why I think this book, though, yeah. we may be a little late to the party. It took a year and a half to crawl through all this and to get this book finally out because of all the things we kept uncovering, including in the appendices, you're going to see an extensive dialogue that Sheila had with a respiratory therapist with over 35 years experience in the industry, revealing some of the dark side. So there's a lot of good things in here that you're going to see as a great resource for you. But yeah. uh, we we were devastated by her story. And she said, I couldn't do anything to stop what they were doing to my father. There was nothing that she could do to help rescue him out of there because once he was in their hands, they did the same thing, a BiPAP, which they did to your brother, which damaged his lungs even further because mm -hmm. of, of high pressure, 100% O2, which can be damaging the lungs, toxins, toxicity. We get into that mm -hmm. in the book. Well, they use soft restraints when they use a BiPAP. Yeah, so you can't take it off your face. And yes, well, that, that well, I was going to say, you know, when I when I saw those two lawyers, who uh, when they were in Alex Jones, it, it, I you know I got chills up my spine because they described to a T what happened to my brother. Went in COVID, no 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 um, no symptoms, COVID di uh, pneumonia diagnosis, unvaccinated. They fast track you, put yep. you on the uh, the uh, the uh, BiPAP. Course, the BiPAP, and then because you're trying to get it off. They put the things on your hands. Mm -hmm. And when you're still doing it, they strap you down because he was strapped down. I thought, what the hell? You know, was, and then they put him on remdesivir. And I, 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 I was so mad at that doctor, but there's nothing, you know, again, I'm talking to him on the phone and he's, and he even told me, yeah, well, I, I know I I'm on, I'm on, I'm on your side about remdesivir. I said, well, why did you give it to him then? What do you mean you're on my side? And uh, there, I realized there was nothing I could do because they had been giving it to him. He was going downhill. And I said, ah, oh, this, I just felt, horrible i felt so helpless as as you did and uh it's it's awful that anybody's put in that situation because you you shouldn't go into a when you go into a hospital as i said in the case of my brother it's a little bit different with rob because he had a problem but they did they made him worse and obviously killed him eventually but in my case my brother was very healthy he would have lived to be 100 there's no question about it he had no medical problems at all and uh they killed him in two weeks yeah. Be because this deadly protocol and that's, you know, it's nobody should go in a hospital and, and, you know, be dead because of the hospital. And it happens all the time. So I'm glad you're, you know, you're exposing it because more people need to, to read about it. Okay. So a lot of people have asked Sheila, what did you do in those 21 days you were locked out? And those 21 days, Sheila went on a mission, she gathered doctors, nurses, therapists around her that were on her side outside the hospital from around the USA, and they were giving her advice. She had created a like a military war unit of mm -hmm. medical personnel, and she went to, to work. She worked night and day for 40 days. And you'll read that in the book. It's amazing what she did. Trying to rescue Rob. And we were she, part of that team. You really did. I, that's why I hope, I hope you don't. I'm sure you don't, but you shouldn't have any guilt at all because you really, 
you worked like as hard as you possibly could and you just I mean, were yeah i mean i always think what if but i can't live there and i have to know that it, nothing passes through the father's hands and i have to know that maybe this was our destiny and maybe people that knew rob that you know he had a pretty big following maybe they need to hear this and I, I don't know i don't know i i it, it's hard to live without him i never thought he was going to die even the day he died i never thought he was going to die he was strong he was 52 he was in great shape he worked out twice a week i mean he ate clean. I mean, he was strong. He was holding him off, but you can't hold him off forever when they have an agenda. No, they they mm. they gave they put him in palliative care. Yeah, they put him in palliative care to punish him or palliative punishment. Was palliative punishment care, which meant no food, no water, no human no attention, no no touch, isolation, all by himself. Now, how does the medical how does the medical profession defend what 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 could possibly how could that ever possibly be good for anybody to have no to have no food or no touch or no I mean it's ridiculous. This is what you do in wartime. Um yeah, it's concentration camps to kill shelter who were taken to Russia during World War II were treated better than Rob, although mm -hmm. many of them died, more of our COVID patients died than the German soldiers in Russia. It's it's a terrorizing experience. It is. Go ahead. No, I'm saying I, this is probably laughable. I'm sure you'll laugh, but I mean, was is there was there a possibility that any local media would be interested in trying? I mean, I know, I know, I'm even asking it, and I'm laughing when I'm asking it because I know I there know. wouldn't be, but but it's just on the off chance there might be a sympathetic reporter working at a local TV station or something. Yeah, no, that's probably not. That's well, I'll talk to anybody. Yeah, connect us with anybody that has a podcast. We'll talk to anybody and everybody. We want right. to get it far and wide. Um, Rob created an Admobile. It's really cool. It's youradmobile.com. But anyway, it has two 50-inch screens and one 30-inch screen in the back. Eventually, I'm going to drive that around. Unfortunately, the screens are only viewable at night. But I'm going to get stuck in rush hour traffic and be promoting it. And he he created it for advertisement. I'm not, he never thought I'd, it'd be a story about his death, but he was on yeah. a quest for truth. And, you know, he's yes. not dead. I believe he's alive with Yeshua, Jesus. You know, he's with his favorite characters in scripture. Um, the end is not over. This is one second compared to what we're, if we believe in eternal life. And I just have to rest there knowing that this is part of my journey. And as painful as it was, and as much as I hate it, because I hate life without him, uh, he was my energy. He was my love i mean i hate being living without him but um anyway i felt obligated to write this book and expose what we went through and hoping that it saves lives so you don't have any you don't have anybody in your family that are saying you're crazy you no. know so everybody's on supporting you in this yeah most most of my family yes well that's good you're very like cat cat i'm sorry you went through that with your mom uh, just trying to get these comments up there uh well i'm with you white wolf yeah and they, i'm gonna have to carry me out to, i mean i it's uh, I I hate the medical profession. So. so did Rob. So did Rob. I mean, that's why yeah, I say it yeah. could happen to Rob Skiba. It could happen to anyone. Yeah. yeah. About all this. Yeah. I can't that's believe he got in the car. I mean, it's a miracle that he even got in the car. Surprise. Yeah, I mean, did did he ever? Once he was there, did he? When he was still able to, did he express like, God, what was I thinking? I can't believe I came here because I mean, it looked like they were he going after him. All he needed was oxygen. Yeah. Once they gave it to him, he went from like a 70 to a 94 or 96, but they kept badgering him. And every hour, as you'll see in the book, they kept on and kept on and kept on and breaking him down, breaking him down. And yeah, it's just sad.
you know, I don't if know. If you were to take him out of the hospital, he would have had to have supplemental oxygen just to get out of the hospital. I mean, I couldn't walk from one room to the other. I spent nine days on the floor with this COVID. And so I wish I'd known that. Yeah. Like, and so I had to literally carry the oxygen concentrator from room to room if I, I was walking. Well, Roberta would carry it. And luckily I had a battery pack we could plug it into. But I couldn't move from room to room without constant flow of oxygen or I would have been passed out. So you, you couldn't just walk out. He was in a very bad situation. His hope was that they would provide him with what I call conservative care yeah. that would have saved his life, which I said before, and we say this in the book, we spell that out, but oxygen, steroids, and antibiotics would have saved his life. If they yeah, stopped at that and give him nothing else and food and water, mm -hmm. which they totally yeah, yeah, they might start with food and water. Right, <laughs> right. He would have survived. He texted Sheila, mm -hmm. no food, no water. Yeah, yeah. And what's such a cry? And right. I wish, but he never said, come get me. I mean, the thing is, he felt like he could hold them at bay and get the oxygen, especially when he got up to the fifth floor. He had the wristband on, do not intubate, not knowing that they tricked him to get back downstairs, which that's a crime in itself. They, they lied in the record. You can very clearly see how they did that. It's, um, they're going to be held accountable, you know, let, let vengeance be the fathers absolutely reality three five ed who is obviously a big fan of rob and a couple there's been a couple of fans of his here uh, well there was no karen it's yeah, sheila cool. and that is uh was rob's keep his wife yeah so my name isn't karen but he doesn't and have said no food, no water there was a doctor speaking with sheila and, and again we she transcribed over 100 hours of or hundreds of hours of audio and one doctor was saying i understand he's not eating well i'm sitting here with him now we're having an insure together i'm really trying to help yeah. him they made it sound like they're trying to take care of the problem but they really weren't how could they withhold? I mean, anybody knows you can't live without water. You can live without food for, you know, what, five days or so. I don't know how many days they claim you can live without food, but you can't learned, live without. I learned why they did that. It's because anybody who went into the hospital that was not vaccinated was a target. And what they wanted them to be eventually put on the ventilator. So I guess you have to be pretty much fasting if you're going to be put on a ventilator. And that's why they didn't give them food and water. It's in the script. It's in the, it's in the script. We can't say they totally denied food and water. If he ordered a meal, they would bring it. But he was too weak to order meals. Yeah, and if I mean, he did order a meal and, and they brought it, he was too weak to eat it. I literally, as I said earlier, had to have Roberta hand feed right. me and bring a straw to me. And she'd force me, you need to sip this drink, drink, drink. I didn't even want to drink. I had no appetite. Nor That's did what I they drink. used to do. I mean, I, I mean is it because yeah. he was, I mean, there's people that are not in the condition to, exactly. to, to order so a meal. So you just got to feed him while he didn't order a meal. Right, because he was using all his strength just to breathe. Just to breathe. That's what I had to do, use all my strength just to breathe. Yeah. But listen, I, I'm over 65, and I survived COVID on an oxygen concentrator that was nowhere near as beneficial as what they had in the hospital. So, and But I had to have someone by my side forcing me to eat and drink. So it's not that they denied it. They just ignored it. They ignored that he wasn't ordering meals. They ignored that there was no one there if they had water near him, that he couldn't pick it up and drink it. Someone needed to stand there and assist him. And they weren't doing that because they they didn't give a rat's ass about it. I'll be honest. He needed his wife to put a straw in his mouth. He needed his wife to hold his hand, say, everything's going to be fine. You're, you're, exactly. you're going to be fine. That's what he needed. I'm telling them that. I need to be there by his side to be his advocate. You know what? They didn't want her interference. That's what it was. And you're, and you're right. You, it's, it's so important. And that's why, you know, I've always, because uh, I question everything. I protest today. I'm always protesting. But um, even back in the day, I never understood visiting hours to hospitals. You know, it's like, 
why can't you, why can't your loved one come and see you at any time? That made no sense to me. Or they'd say, you know, you have to, it's, yeah. why? I mean, that's special a, night shift. Right. They're, they're awake. Yeah. They're up. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's they're one thing. If they say, if the patient says, I don't want visitors, then nobody's going to stay there and make them right. sicker. They're going to go on their own. But right. if somebody did, then I can understand there's well, you're going to have to leave. He wants you to leave. But in, in this case, of course, you want your, your, your husband or wife there with you to, to, uh, you're just going to naturally feel better. Like you said, the human touch and all that. And who knows if you had gotten in there, maybe that would have made a huge difference. Just, you know, right. not only seeing what they were doing, but just you being there. Yes. And being it, with them it would have made some... all the difference. It would have made all the difference from the family. I could have, I could have held those nurses and doctors off from badgering him. They were badgering him every hour. They're waking him up in the middle of the night saying you need to be put on a ventilator. When he knew he even said, uh, I'll either get better or worse. In other words, I'm not doing that. They said, doing all they can to get me to be put on a ventilator. I'm dead if they do, which meant he wasn't going to do it. So, you know, I could have held them off and they're vultures is what they are. I could have held them off and put a straw up to his mouth. But anyway. Well, certainly it's a, we, we could tell, you know, medical industrial complex stories all day. I mean, it's, it's just, and obviously yours is a, uh, it's a heart wrenching one. So uh, I, and I, there's so many people here, obviously that, that knew or knew of Rob. I mean, did you, cause I think I heard at the time I heard that he had died and I remember, but again, he was a name and there's so many people in our world. I thought, well, that's strange. And I, I said, I heard of a couple other people too. Did you, besides uh, you have Alan and Roberta who had, were, were listening to Rob even before and then became your neighbors and friends. Uh, did you get much of a, did you hear many people that listened to him contacting you afterwards and wanting to know the details before you wrote this book? A lot of people wanted to know, but I was hoping at the beginning that there would be some kind of lawsuit and I didn't want to sabotage justice. So I never publicly came out with the details. And then when we decided to, uh, you know, write it in a way the where the reader was the jury, I mean, we were deep into it and I mean, 12 hour, 14 hour days, thousands of hours. I mean, it was very difficult to read those details. Um, even I cried on the last day that we read the last chapter. It's just really hard to relive all of that. And um, but uh, but now I'll, I'll talk to anybody. I mean, Rob was very well connected. He did two radio Internet radio shows a week. I mean, he has like over 227,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, I want to get this message far and wide. I never thought I, I like to be in the background and it's kind of stretching me a little bit, but, um, but I'll talk to anybody who would, who will listen. And, and I'm hoping that this book, like I said, for those families that don't believe it, I'm hoping they'll take the time to read it. And, and, and look, these people in this Nuremberg thing, they, they did the protocol, but guess what? A lot of them got hung in, hung in the streets and they were held accountable for doing the protocol because it was a protocol that was killing people. And people should have the right to say no. They didn't take Rob's no as serious. 17 times he said no, and he kept forcing it on him. And that's against the Nuremberg Code. Every single part of this code they broke. And they had no consent, no consent. And it, that's at the very end of the book, last couple of pages. They literally admit that they did not get consent and that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. It's it's just sick. No, it, it absolutely is. It's a very sad story, and uh, you know, obviously, it's a uh, it's such a well documented book. And I, I was, you know, I was fighting back the tears as I was reading it because, again, it, it I, so much of it resonated with me because I'd been through something. You must not be quite a fast as... reader. You must be a very fast reader. It's a big book. Well, yeah. you know, I'm a pretty fast reader, but I, I, I went through, you know, I mean, I, I didn't, 
all the lawyer's arguments and stuff. Like I kind of skimmed through. I mainly read what you were writing, you know, okay. so I get the gist of it. And because, uh, yeah, it is. It's 400 and some pages. So I am a pretty fast reader, but uh, even I wasn't that fast. But there's a lot there. And obviously people will, will find it. So I, I think it uh, I think Alan said earlier, this, this has to be the most well-documented case. Mm hmm. Right. Same. And you read it in one particular way. And there, we found there's four different ways you can read this book. Go ahead. Yeah, You can read this as a true crime docudrama and just read all the dialogue that Sheila had with the doctors and skip the legal counsel statements initially if you want to, to get through it more quickly. But then if you want to read the legal briefs, uh, the, the legal brief method, you'll look at the legal counsel statements. As I said earlier, there's over 100 of those with over 100 citations to clinical studies and journal articles, medical re federal regulations and such. And uh, so there's over 130 legal counsel statements with over 100 citations. And then you can read it as a total body of evidence, just reading the appendices. We have appendices mm -hmm. A through I, which it provides extensive detail, including excerpts from the hospital records that are redacted with post-it notes on them that explain the nefariousness of what they were doing. And then you can read it as a complete day-by-day -day chronological story by reading it as a true crime docudrama, but then bringing in the legal counsel statements as you read it to give you the story behind the story. And by the way, somebody asked who's the family in the video. Well, that's, of course, us, my wife, Roberta, and myself. We're co-authors with Sheila. Yes. And if you go to theprotocolthatkills.com, you will see our names on the book. We we're helped, Roberta, uh, sorry, helped Sheila to, to yeah. write the book in addition to helping her throughout this entire journey, as I mentioned earlier. So, so Sheila, what, so other than by, is there anything else that you, you mentioned your, give out your shows, uh, your son's uh, show again, or are you, are you planning to do anything? Are you planning to do a podcast or anything else? I, I would, yeah, Roberta and I, we kept notes about the little nuggets that we thought were important and, and probably eventually we'll do a little off, you know, off the cuff live thing that just flows. Cause we, when we talk, it's just so much of it is so interconnected. Probably I will, but um, I kind of under the Skiba news nation umbrella. Cause we, we want to keep Rob Rob's voice alive. We want to keep his, I mean, he has so many amazing videos. Um, want to keep it. I mean, there's still new people joining his, his audience every single day that didn't know even that he died. So um, I, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, I would like to, I would talk to anybody. If you could connect us with anybody that has podcasts, we'd be, we'd be glad to do that. Well, John Vassiglund said, Rob, Rob, I saw the pictures. He did look great. Boy, he, he looked at, again, he, he, that's, wanted, he wanted to be in the same shape that he was at 50, at 25 when he was 50. So he got a trainer and he yeah. went twice a week and I'm telling you, he worked out really hard. It was he, all kinds of stuff. And, and he did, he got in shape. Uh, he was in the best health of his life. And he was just about to touch his dream, uh, see the series, uh, the TV series that he was developing, building it one scene at a time. He had just done a teaser um, for it, but uh, yeah. Well, it's 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 again, it's very it's a tragic story, but you you were uh, profiling courage for telling it and uh, working so hard on it, and uh, not letting people forget who he was did i miss anything i you know we've gone almost an hour and a half today is there anything else that uh, that you wanted to say before i, well, I think we covered it pretty thoroughly but i think we're good i know a lot of the people that that have initially picked up the book may have known who rob was but whether you know who rob skiba was or is uh, it doesn't matter no. this is a story that's far broader than that as sheila said we've redacted the name of the hospital and the individuals involved to protect the guilty basically but also to make it a universal story. This is not specifically a story about a gentleman you may not know. It's a story about a protocol. That's why it's titled The Protocol That Kills. We thought about titling it White Coat Assassins, but we figured that that might not even get published. And so we went with The Protocol That Kills. 
You can see it's a massive tome. It is a it's over two and a half pounds of weight. It's eight and a half by eleven over four hundred. Nice coffee table book. That's a conversation starter. Yeah, this is a hardback. Yeah, absolutely. If you have friends and family that doubt that doctors could ever have anything other than their best interest in mind, you need to get them a copy and let them read through this book. And you mentioned it bringing you near tears. I'll be honest, I served sort of as senior editor for the book. And as I was editing the last chapter of the book, I broke down and cried just editing it. it, it, It's yeah. yeah. Uh, And my son did the artwork and then Roberta did like several poems that are in here. So it's got a lot of um, a lot of different things that kind of enhance it. Like here's a, one of the pictures that my son did uh, night uh, snapshots of our nightmare. He il- illustrated these, um, you know, to kind of give a visual of the, of the emotions that we felt as we well, looked through it. You, you took the, the pictures of the, that, that special bed they had a man and just, it, uh, you know, it, it really kind of adds to when mm-hmm. you went and saw that. I know when I went and saw my brother the last day, just the fact we had that they made us put on a, one of those absurd helmets and oh, masks and completely gown up. And it was just ridiculous. And then he, you know, you could, cause he had all this stuff on him and it's just, you couldn't, it, it's, I, and when Rob was even in a special, uh, it looked like, a, I don't know, like the kind of space capsule that oh, Kal-El, Kal-El was sent to earth from, from Krypton, you know, it looked like that to me. I mean, it was ridiculous. Uh, yeah. And, here, this is it. Yeah. And they had, they had at one point, they said they, I mean, they had him laying on his stomach yeah, for 16 it's, it's hours. Prone, and the idea yeah. is you can strap a person in and it's like they're held prisoner. And then you can turn them upside down in a prone position, which is supposed to make it easier to breathe. But the problem is the moment they put him in that rotoprone bed, we explained this in the book, yeah. he was immediately not a candidate to even attempt to get him off the ventilator because their policy was while he's in that bed, we won't even attempt to get him off the ventilator. So that that just sentenced him to even a further time on the ventilator where they wouldn't even attempt to wean him. Of course, they didn't want him waking up. Trust me. They didn't want him waking up. He no. woke up. Yeah. He opened his eyes to me on October 7th. Yes. Amazing because he was paralyzed and sedated so heavily. I don't know if he was trying to tell me goodbye or what, but um, as soon as he woke up, they gave him, they added morphine on top of ketamine and propofol and, Right, they became frightened, right, Sheila? They were frightened. They were scared. scared. He was going to tell what they did. I think they tied him down and he was went down punching personally. And I think, you know, they were afraid that he was going to wake up and expose it. But that's okay. We've exposed it for him. Yeah, and that's why we we subtitled this a true crime story, because that's what this is. If somebody's interested in true crime stories, this is a real live true crime docudrama story that you can read of the 40 days of nightmare that Sheila and her husband experienced at the hands of, quote, medical professionals. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And Kat points out in some cases you can't even. And you, I didn't have medical power of attorney over my brother, but you did. And that's I what did. amazes me that that they, they still kept you away. They don't care. I mean, the Prep Act and the Cares Act has has stripped us of all our rights. If I had known that, I would have never taken them. But you know, I didn't have oxygen either, so he might have died like Russ Distar. He died in his own home. Um, that's true. We had, we had to. I mean, because I have a medical background, I explained to Sheila: if you kept your husband yeah. home, he would have died at home. There's no question about it. Now you'd have the guilt that he yeah. died at home. You didn't take him to the hospital because you wouldn't have known what they were going to do. I have supplemental oxygen in my home now in case somebody in my family gets sick, and I, you know, that's the only thing I needed. So, you know, if I can say, yeah, you wouldn't think to have it, you know, have it yeah. around necessarily. You know, that's. I mean, especially with somebody as healthy as uh, as Rob was, but. You know, it just, it just, it just look at our media and the reason there were pieces, people like Rob, people like me, people, all the other people that your son, 
uh, it's because our, our, our so-called free press doesn't do its job. I mean, just, this yeah. should be, a, this should be a heart tugging human interest story. I, I could, I, I didn't even bother to go to the media with my brother's story, but these kind of stories, and then, and you should see the, the reporters going to the hospital and questioning Dr. Killer and all these people, but they would never do that because they believe everything just like they believe the government. They believe the police, they believe the judges, they believe the authorities. So they're going to believe the doctors and they're never going to believe you. So no matter what you told them, you could tell them this entire story and you're not going to get a single report. They're just going to, it's going to go in where and out the other until maybe it happens to them, but they trust the system. And that's the biggest problem. I'm sure you probably heard that from Rob is, is trying to get people over their trust in this mm-hmm. stuff there's blind obedience and right. these, people should have seen enough with COVID over the last uh three years i mean how much do you have to see everything right. being shut down and people running around in mass and just ah, people well, dying and so that's one of the benefits of the legal counsel statements that are in the book which is again an insight that roberta had when she realized that that check in her spirit i can't write this just as a memoir it'll just look like a sob story one of many yeah. but the legal counsel statements that provide the story behind the story really help bring to the forefront. Cause if you, I'll be honest, if you read some of the dialogue, cause I worked in a medical field with Sheila and the doctors, to some extent, it'll sound sensible in many cases. You'll say, okay, I get why they said that. But then the legal counsel jumps in and says, excuse me, hold on a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Let me tell you what they're really doing and what's really going on and why that drug they're now giving him is so nefarious and why this is going to cause him severe harm and damage. And yeah. look, at, look at the medical record and the hospital record. Go to Appendix C on page C20 and take a look at what that really meant. And so then you begin to go, oh, so even if someone was to read this and think they sound reasonable, because in some cases they do, the legal counsel jumps right in your face and says, no, they're not. And you begin to see it. It helps open your eyes. And as yeah. I said, you look evil square in the face if you read through this book. Yeah. So the legal counsel is what I learned after his death. So, you know, it, it's in chronological order. You can read my story, but the legal counsel is everything I learned after the story and um, kind of. Yeah. And every uh, single day of the 40 days, there's a legal counsel statement in there and there are multiples on certain days that will actually bring you up to speed on the nefariousness of what they were doing mm-hmm. because she didn't know at the time that some of these things were extremely detrimental. There was a drug they put him on that initially they thought was helping him. And then she later learned that it was causing him further difficulty with shortness of breath and difficulty breathing. She didn't even know that that's a side effect of this drug and that it was causing him additional harm. And she was concerned that for a temporary period of time out of the ICU, he wasn't on it because she didn't know. But yeah. we learn later as we crawl through the records and we do the research that they were actually making it more difficult for him to breathe with that drug. And when they got him back into ICU and put him back on it, that it just helped them to further get him in five days to the point where they could force him on a ventilator. So you, you'll see how this is put together in a different way than most books you've read. Well, we have a medical expert as well that Sheila paid for mm-hmm. that said one of the cause the causes of action against the hospital and the doctors was using certain drugs he believes took Rob's life. Yes. And so that's another of the voices in the book is that medical expert that we, that Sheila paid to provide an analysis of the records. And he put how many causes of action? There There are nine causes of action. The first one being contraindicated BiPAP should never be done on somebody that has a pneumomediastinum. And they know that any respiratory therapist will say they did that. Yeah, they, they did that. They, they did that to injure him worse because he wouldn't agree to get on a ventilator. His complete analysis is in an appendix. So yeah, Yeah. it's phenomenal. So we want a public outcry. Yes, we do. That's why we're doing these interviews. We want a movement. Right. Well, well, there there should be, uh, I, 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 I just, whether, uh, whether we can get enough people to care, uh, 
and I, you know, my heart goes out to you. Like I said, especially it would anyhow, even if I hadn't lost my someone that I love uh, to the same kind of stuff. But I know I, you're luckier than me because, again, I don't that nobody in my family thinks anything happens strange at all. They just well, this book would be good for them if you, if yeah, they, well, if, if, if I could get them to read it, I certainly would, but I can't get them to watch my show you know, or, yeah, or to read my own book coming up. You know, I, I, uh, I don't think any of them will be reading that, but uh, well, I can mail it to them if you'd like me to, but I could always mail it anonymously. Well, there <laughs> well I'll let you, I, I, I think you'd, you'd probably be better off emailing it because that's that'd be a prohibitive cost and I can't guarantee they'd read it. Yeah, you know, they might use it as a doorstop or something, you know, because it's as big as it is. But, um, yeah, it's it's so the, basically the you, me, all all of us should have a a lawsuit against the, these people, but we we don't. We know because it's hard to. And maybe if we have enough people for class action lawsuit, maybe. So your your idea is that you realize you really can't do anything legally against these people because the system is corrupt, but. Would you join a class action lawsuit or like if those those doctors or somebody like that uh, sues a bunch of hospitals in your area? I would. I would. It was more important for me to get the book out first, though, because I didn't right. want to get muzzled. So uh, I think public opinion is, is way stronger than any court case because the court case is going to get swept under the rug. We need to rise up as people. We need to become more connected to our sheriffs and our, our city councils. Right. Um, I don't know where this is going, but, you know. A court case can just, you, I mean, I don't even know if you'd win. I mean, I think the hospitals are in bed with the uh, judicial system. I don't know. Speaking of an uprising, Ken Paxton, who's the attorney general for the state of Texas, is now yes. doing an investigation into the deceit from the pharmaceutical companies where they claimed that these injections, these mRNA gene modifying experimental gene therapies would give you immunity to uh, you know, having this disease and indeed they don't or to spreading it from to other people, they don't or from dying of it, they don't. And so he believes they lied and violated Texas law. I'd like to see Ken Paxton also start coming after these protocols that are being incentivized in hospitals, whether it's against a patient with this virus or it's against any patient with anything that mm -hmm. where they start to inject them with things they don't need. And it's to the benefit of the hospital and the detriment of the patient. Somebody needs to put a stop to this. And hopefully he and Ron Johnson will come after it in a Senate hearing. We really do want to start a movement. It's not about selling books. You made a good point, Donald. Not many people make money on these books. And it's true. These books are not making Sheila uh, money. The, the thousands and thousands of hours that went into writing this book are probably never going to get paid back. Right. But what we really want to do is get the word out and start a movement. We need to stand yes. together. There's more of us than there are of them, as Sheila said. Mm -hmm. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And we need to put a stop to this. This mm -hmm. madness needs to stop. And people need to learn to stand on their own and say, no, this is not going to happen to me. I should not have had to stay home on the floor of my living room for nine days on my elbows and knees for three days to, to, to try and survive because I knew that I would probably be in a kill shelter if I went to a hospital. That's That's got to stop. Yeah. I mean, the last thing we should, especially as expensive as they are, you know, it's, it's like if you went to a, a five-star hotel and you're, you're paying top dollar and, you know, they, they didn't have bathrooms or, you know, they everything was the chandeliers were, you might fall down and you just walked by. I mean, that's basically what hospitals are. Yeah. You're paying, you're paying for five-star hotels. And in Rob's case, you're paying for torture. You yeah, you're paying rely for on getting fed or yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, the reason why they their excuse at the time was they had a skeleton crew. Oh, yeah. yeah. You yeah. have enough people. Yeah, because people that had consciences couldn't kill people for money. 
And Sheila tried to say, wait a minute, if you have a skeleton crew and you're understaffed, let me in. I'll be another yeah, pair of hands yes. to help my husband. No, we're sorry. I'll the sign a waiver. I begged them. I'll sure. sign a waiver saying yeah. that I can't sue you. They they kept saying the administration. That's who I would want to sue is because. Yeah. And I wanted to see it in writing. They could never show me anything in writing. I mean, it's like beating your head up against a brick wall. I mean, I literally almost lost my mind. We point out in the book, and I'll just go ahead and make this statement, uh, that the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, is a government agency that can only issue guidelines. They cannot, and they have no legal authority to issue mandates. The problem is the hospital, and we explain this in the book, took their guidelines and then made them, turned them into mandates for the purpose of keeping Sheila out of the hospital. Well, the CDC won't let us let you in. No, that's not true. That's simply a guideline. They simply chose to follow the guideline to their benefit to keep the family from interfering with the protocol. And made it mandatory. And they turned it into a mandate, which it was mm -hmm. not. They, the CDC cannot issue mandates. And yet they make it sound like it's a legal requirement on the hospital. We can't yeah. let you in because of CDC guidelines. No, that's, that's, that's senseless. And this needs to stop. The state of mm -hmm. Texas needs to law that says every patient has a right to have family at their bedside. And as you said, Donald, why send them out at 7 p.m. or whenever, quote, visitors are right. hours are over? There's right. no point. In that. I, I, when I worked as a medic in the service, I worked 24-hour shifts. I would work midnight to 8. And so why couldn't there be a family member there? There's people there. You're it's not like the a prison. People. I know they're treating you more like a prison. Yes, it's very much yeah. like a prison. It, it has, And that's there's so many things that need to uh, be questioned. And I wonder... In the case of Rob, obviously he was aware of all this. He was talking about it. So, uh, you know, if he had survived, it wouldn't have changed his perspective. He just would have reinforced it. Same thing with me. All it did was, you know, God, they killed my brother. It just hit home. But I, I, I was telling him about it. I used to talk to him. I used to warn him about remdesivir. And, and, you know, I said, you know, you've got to stop being a hypochondriac. You don't want to go in the hospital now, mm. especially because you're not vaccinated. And I, I knew what it meant. You know, he was in there before I knew it. But um, what do you think about have, is this just happening to people like us? I mean, so many people must have died. I wonder what the families that this happened to, are they so asleep that even after this happens, or do you, or have you heard from any families like that, that where maybe they trusted in everything, they went in, COVID protocol killed their loved one, did it wake them up? Or I, how many people, I wonder, are being, you know, are, are becoming awake because of these tragic situations happening to someone they love? It depends on how awake they are. I mean, you know people like I do. I mean, some people watch TV all day and they watch CNN and they think it's real and they're going to think their loved one died of COVID. And there's some people that find their identities with their sickness and they think their doctor is so nice and they love their doctors. And I've heard that over and over and it makes me sick, but uh, you know, they're never going to know and they're never going to understand because they don't want to know. They don't want to understand, but I do, there are people that are divided. And I, I know one lady whose sister died and she was the only one in her family who was, raising the red flag, you know, that she didn't need it. She literally uh, lived to be extubated and she lived, I want to say 17 or seven hours. Uh, they told her that they, she was going to die as soon as they took the ventilator out, but she actually kept, was breathing on her own for seven hours. Now her daughter says she died of COVID, but no, she didn't die of COVID. She died of the, of the medication. I still believe and, it. Yeah. They, they killed her with the drugs. That's what kills them. The drugs. Well, that's what I'm wondering how many, cause I, I know in my case, if I hadn't been around, or I had just been like the rest of them. No, nobody else in my family would have questioned my brother's death. They would have just attributed it to, oh, she should have gotten vaccinated. 
That's that would have been the thing. And and uh, but I I just wonder how many because if if these tragedies serve any purpose, especially it's happening in so many. We don't thousands. Some people say millions. We don't know how many people have gone through what we went through. But there's lots, obviously, probably at least thousands. million is what I've heard. Uh, Scott Sherrod just did a video. 1.2 million people. There were more people in the United States died of COVID than any other country. That's if that doesn't say it. I don't know. I so, mean, we're I mean, supposed to have the best care and we don't. Well, well, but it, do you think oh, that woke God. anybody up, though, out of those millions? Do you, I mean, I'm how many woke up? Because I hope I'm somebody hoping these um, talk shows. I mean, I'm hoping this get it out there on Rob's social media. I mean, far and wide, I'll, like I said, we'll talk on anybody's podcast that will listen and hopefully some people will wake up. I mean, it just takes, sometimes it takes three times to hear something to believe it. No, it is. And it's, it's, it's one of the problems is that when someone has that diagnosis and, and again, this isn't over, there'll be some other pandemic coming along and whatever it may be, once somebody had that diagnosis and we know the PCR test spun up to over, you know, 40 cycles, it's not, it's a lot of false positives, right? So we don't know about Rob's particular diagnosis, if it was even accurate, but even if it were, he was well over that within 40 days. And so the problem is once you have that tag on your chart, and we mentioned this in the book, and I hope this book gets widely quoted because there's a lot of things in there that I think are eye-opening, is that once a person has that diagnosis, as you might expect, Donald, they cannot die of anything else. No, They can't die of negligence. They can't die of starvation. They can't die of oxygen toxicity. They can't die of hepatotoxic drugs that are killing their liver. They can't die of nephrotoxic drugs that are killing their kidneys. They, they can't die of anything other than COVID. So no matter what the patient that brought on their death, it's just another COVID death. It's sick. They blame everything on COVID. It's so laughable. I mean, you know, they, anyway, yeah. I could go on and on because it's, it's all over the book and it, these doctors are ignorant and they say everything is COVID. Kidney yeah. failure, COVID, everything. It's so stupid. Karen, Karen Carpenter brings up Robert David Steele. I, I imagine you probably, I'm sure Rob had heard of his name. He was a, uh, pretty big in the alternative world. In fact, he was, uh, he was supposed to come on my show once and I was prejudiced against because he canceled at the last minute without any reason. So, but he, uh, was very vocal about the vaccines and everything. And he, again, he was in the hospital. They put him on a ventilator and he died. And, uh, so Rob's not the only one they got that had a show, you know, that, that was because Robert David Steele was a fairly big name and, uh, I'm glad you brought him up, Karen, but, uh, um, uh, you know, Steve Quayle and, uh, Mike Adams did a show, I guess a couple of months after Rob's death, they said there was a hit list. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. It was October 13th. Yeah. That's the day they took his life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's just, so it's, um, yeah, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me if they did have a hit list. So I, I don't know, but they, I um, told them to see about, I want to know the details of it, but he hasn't responded. So I don't know. But who, who did you call? I called Steve Quayle. He did a show with uh, oh. Mike Adams and said that there was a supposed hit list. Yeah. Well, yeah, another story that you might find interesting, Donald, is that when I, we call the telemedicine doctors too, and we told them I'm not going to the hospital, they didn't have to prescribe supplemental oxygen for me, which they should have for Sheila and for Rob, but because I had it here. But one of the odd things they prescribed, besides budesonide, besides an antibiotic because I had double pneumonia and a steroid, budesonide, and inhaled, which they never would give Rob until it was too late, because Sheila begged for that too. And that's in the book, the story of that. But the, one of the things that the doctor prescribed was, she said, I'm going to give you a prescription you may not understand, which is for prostate. And I said, I don't have a prostate problem. Why would you give me that? She said, I need to lower your testosterone. 
And I'm saying this because I think there's something insidious about a bioengineered weapon that is yeah. killing more men than women. The husband yeah. and wife get it, like Roberta and I got it, Robin yeah. and, and Sheila got it, and usually the wife gets over it and the husband dies. That's so it targeted rough. men with high testosterone. It was he said, targeted. I need to lower your testosterone because the stronger you are with testosterone in your body, the more likely this is going to kill you. And I thought, wait a minute, if that doesn't spell <laughs> something targeting men, then what does? She said, well, I, all I know is you need to lower your testosterone. And I, I thought that's just bizarre. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, uh, and I said, some of the stuff they say, again, just you know, some of the things I've heard from doctors over the years, it's like, you know, I'm sorry. And I, but the problem is most of us are intimidated and we, especially the general public, they have the white coat syndrome and they think these people are all wise. And I, I've met a lot of complete idiots that were doctors. And there's oh, a reason why they're the third leading cause of death. You know, they're incompetent as well as corrupt. Yes. Yeah. I had a doctor tell me once that corn syrup is good for you. Literally. Sure. This is a, a long time ago, but I'm like, they don't know anything about nutrition. They don't know anything about, you know, a thing, something that's going to help you feel, you know, actually heal. They don't, they don't know any of that. And well, of one course, thing too, that's a, a real eye opener in the book, Donald, is that as you read through this book, you're going to notice, and we spell this out in clear detail, that certain drugs Rob was given made it more difficult for him to survive. But worse than that, some of the drugs in combination caused infections. And those infections required antibiotics. And those antibiotics then led to fungal infections, which led to antifungals, which led to serious other issues with his liver and kidneys. And it's drugs on top of drugs. In other words, no matter what symptom you have, as you know, there's a drug for that. And so they would give you drug A, which caused symptom B. Now there's drug C to solve that problem, which causes mm -hmm. symptom D. And symptom D, there's a drug for that. Now you got drug E on top of the other drugs. And the massive amount of medications, again, there's an appendix for that that mm -hmm. <laughs> shows you that in the book that he was on during a period of time right after they put him on the vent is phenomenal. The amount of, but, but it led to a cascading effect. So it's like, why did you come to this buffet if you don't want what's on the menu? And what's on the menu is more and more and more medication. And the more they gave him, the more they needed to give him, so they said, to try and counteract the effects and, and the, quote, side effects, which are all effects, of those other medications they gave him. So they led him down this insidious path toward the more. In all and the they don't tell you. Sure, you get that. The Nuremberg Code is supposed to uh, also uh, uh, make you aware of the risk versus benefits and I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I recorded every phone call. So these doctors are telling me statistics that are not true. And the doctor said, I didn't have a choice in the matter. Uh, your husband is going to be put on a vent. You have no choice. And we're going to give him, a, uh, we're going to let him, let his lungs heal. And uh, we're going to give him just a little bit of sedatives. And so he doesn't remember. And so he'll have amnesia. I mean, God almighty, if you look at the drugs, it was so much that he was maxed out on fentanyl and morphine on the first night. His blood pressure dipped to 88 over 56. I don't know if I lost him on that night, probably, because they 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 gave him so much. And he probably went down punching, so it probably was all out of whack. I mean, it's just it's so detailed in the book. I mean Oh, I, I, I talked, I estimated that they made, because uh, we don't really know what exactly what kind of kickbacks they're getting from remdesivir to push it so hard, but it's mm -hmm. getting something. It's lucrative. I want to know. I, yeah, yeah I, est I estimated that they made about $100,000 on my brother's death, and that was two weeks. Now, uh, Rob was in there for 40 days. They might have made a million dollars, and they had a lot more know. elaborate stuff with him. I want to know. I want to know that, too. I think we deserve uh, He's a statistic now. Somebody's keeping track of that. Sure. We should uh, we should be uh, given the information 
of our loved ones, where, where whatever stats there were. I want to know who got what payout. I want to know. I was told by a local pharmacist picking up Alan's medication that nobody who was vaccinated got put on a ventilator. I have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. That's called discrimination. That's called why yeah. would why is that the case? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's true, but that's what he told me. I want to find out how many in that hospital that were not vaccinated were forced on a ventilator. Well, you're asking the right questions. William Hale says, good morning from Perth, Western Australia. And I know it's a great, I, I love having people from oh, the yeah, land down under watching. So he's, uh, he's. By the watching. way, we've had a good number of people from Australia buy the book. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, I get a lot of people that uh, there's Australian Ben. There's a lot, there's a lot of them that uh, listen to the show. And so they're. Rob had they a know lot of people from Australia f- uh, follow his work as well. Well, they they you know they were uh, was it especially uh, what was the part of Australia it was it, it was really Sydney or it was a part that was really locked down. It was so draconian. Mm-hmm. They had some of the worst, even worse than here, and that's uh, that's saying something. You've had several people say they think Rob was targeted. Houston said very likely targeted. Uh, I would. It just sounds so strange that. He developed this, this, you know, this, this very straight. It doesn't sound like COVID, whatever COVID is. Uh, I don't, I don't know what he had, but I mean, that's, uh, and obviously you couldn't count on the medical profession to, to accurately diagnose it. I tried to get his death certificate changed because my son was irate that they put COVID on the death certificate because he didn't die of COVID. Right. We all know, we all know that. And so we did the, my son wanted a private autopsy. We paid for it. Didn't say COVID anything on it. It was a uh, cryptogenic organizing pneumonia which is caused from toxins right which is caused from the drugs that they gave him his lungs didn't even look human i mean it's just the the evidence is there if there's an attorney that hears this please contact me i would love to give you all my data all my phone calls i think there's enough evidence and the uk is used for comfort care when they're killing you that's another drug you're going to see in the list Yes. Yeah, and well, my brother Scrum said they wouldn't give vitamin, and it, this is and this is what we find out when you talk to doctors. They, I've never met a doctor that's not prejudiced against vitamins. I mean, oh. if, if they'll, they'll, they might say you'll take uh, one a day or one of those ridiculous generic uh, multivitamins from the store, but they don't like you taking massive doses of uh, vitamin C and zinc and and D three. All there the been things. Tons of studies on real studies, not their stupid studies, but yeah, there's been so much evidence that that does help. It's amazing how they lied straight to me that said that they don't they don't have it. They can't give it. You know, they don't want to give it to somebody who may die. I forget how they worded it, but it's very uh, telling that they uh, they don't have life in, in, in mind when they're treeting you. Yeah, it took an intervention meeting with a doctor coming in to plead for with, you know, a doctor flew in from California to help Sheila. And I was there. Roberta was there in the intervention meeting. Uh, her sister showed up, I think it was. Yeah, right? and, and this doctor was screaming at them saying they're starving him. He's got, he's anemic. He's been anemic since day one. And they, uh, it's just like, you can tell them they, I mean, they don't we, listen. They finally them. agreed. Okay, well, we'll, we'll do something, but you know, they, they, well, all right, we'll try and see if we can get IV vitamin C. And, and it took an intervention meeting to get them to take any action toward positive therapies that would have been beneficial to Rob that they just denied him from the very beginning. Cause that wasn't part of the protocol. No, it was a delay. Thank you, Jen Simpson. It was, it was Melbourne, that part of it. I appreciate that. Uh, reality three, five out inter- interviewed, uh, your husband a couple of times. He said yeah. he thinks it was because of the, the movie. Oh, it's a TV series. Yeah. See. TV series. See, and he said he was the brightest star in the alternative media and truth yeah. or Christian community. So thank you. I agree. Big fan there. White so this, says, is the, this is the book. 
a little bit large. You know, it's, some people call it the phone book. It's over two and a half pounds of weight, but it's well worth reading. It, it's, some people have found it sort of a page turner nonstop. If you want to start mm -hmm. reading through it, it's yeah. like, well, read it when you've got plenty of time to enjoy it. Thank you, Karen. And of course, you can go to the protocol that kills.com to read it, to see our promo video, to see reviews, to see uh, our other interviews. There's an interviews page where we feature the other interviews that we've done to learn a little bit more about the story. But we're trying, mm -hmm. you know, we, you'll get the book, though, you'll get the full story. And that's the way to find out about it. And at the protocol that kills.com, you can learn how to get a copy of the book. It's available in PDF format for downloadable, keyword searchable PDF or in paperback or in the hardcover edition. And it became number one bestseller on Amazon. Oh, that's true. Within 48 hours, it became the number one bestseller in the true crime, not true crime, well, yeah, true crime as well as in medical ethics category. It actually became for a period of time, the bestseller ahead of the real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And it wow. dropped back a little bit since then, because, yeah. you know, after the, the launch brought a little bit of a, well, that's attempt. amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. And, and I will say on the website, um, there's a place, if you have a podcast or you want to talk about it, there's a place on the website in the interview on the interview page, if I'm not mistaken, where yep. you, can you can request inquire. an interview. Yeah. You can, you can request an interview and there's a form there. I'm sorry. I, I've missed a bunch of comments trying to catch up to these comments. See if there's any more questions for you. Great tribute to Rob. Absolutely. He, flat. he knows now that's not spinning. I'm sure he probably got to touch it. He wanted proof so bad. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and I know, I know he was a flat earther. I, you know, I'm sympathetic to flat earth. I call it biblical cosmology. It's not flat. There's mountains. I mean, it's biblical cosmology. If you believe the Bible, it's not a spinning ball in an ever expanding universe. It's set on pillars. I mean, biblically speaking, it's not what we've been taught. No, that's anyway. what I say when people say, I'm like, I, I don't know what it is, but I know I don't believe we're on a, a, a giant spinning ball or giant oceans and bodies of water held down by a force called gravity, but not butterflies or birds. I know. You know how does that work? I have more faith in that than, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and my friends land, land down under the Australians that are listening to the show. I oh. don't believe you're hanging by your feet. I don't think so. I don't think no, you're upside down there. So. Their hair is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're gonna. That's uh, yeah, it's it's laughable too. And you know what? It call in the in scripture, it says, uh, science falsely so called. Rob was a big, uh, you know, exposer of science falsely so called. All of science, especially with uh, biblical cosmology, is 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 a uh, is CGI, it's all CGI, it's not even science. I mean. You can't replicate, duplicate, do any of those experiments over and over again because it doesn't exist. Absolutely. I'm yeah. just seeing if we have anything else. So we're, we're almost to the end. We still have a few minutes left. So I want you to talk about anything you think we missed, anything important, any other point? Well, we'll get you give out the links again in the last minute, but anything else, any other part of the story? Um, that, uh, just uh, subscribe to Skiba News Nation. I get on there and talk um, uh, often about, other things as well. Um, Skiba News Nation, the book is The Protocol That Kills. And um, Alan, anything else? Well, we do have a resources page too. You'll find a lot of good information on the website at theprotocolthatkills.com. And so if you go to the resources page, you'll find a lot of good resources, a lot of evidence that backs up what we're saying. If anybody doubts what we're saying is true, uh, the video for Nicole Suratek talking at the Senate hearing is on our website. Right underneath our promo video is a link to that video so you can hear her saying what I just quoted earlier in the interview. Mm -hmm. uh, we really do want to start a movement. And yeah, so there are solutions. There are some things that can be helpful that are on the resources page. Uh, it, it's, it's something that we want to start a movement to though to try and help people understand that you need to be cautious. If you put your life in the hands of the white coats, uh, you, you really have to start thinking for yourself. And if this 
just simply open some eyes to save some lives. That's what we really want to do. We want to save future lives. And I have a favor to ask the audience. If they could just leave a review on Amazon, it will, it will help it be um, suggested. Anybody that leaves a review really right. helps push it. Don't say you know me because they won't put it on there. It right. has to be right. an authentic review. But um, yeah. uh, I could really use some good reviews. And um, they censor them pretty bad. But anyway, that would be a great help to get it shared. It would be help. No, the reason, but you know, and what the great thing about Amazon, I tell people this all the time. If you're listening at their audience for my books, this applies as well. You don't even have to write a review anymore. The number of ratings, people look at that and uh, people are sheeple, they're followers. So they think, oh, that, look how many ratings that has. That must be a good book. You know, right. I'm looking at what the it's about. So if you, you can just go and give it five stars, yeah, you don't even have to write a review. That's true. That's true. And the, it's nice if you write a great review too, but I understand, okay, that might take a few minutes. Yeah. This takes, you know, 30 seconds. Yeah. Thank just you. Thank you. Yeah. Just do that. I'll, I'll be forever grateful. And Rob would too. Absolutely. No. And, and I, I think again, I'll, I'll stress again. I think that I didn't know Rob, but I, I knew of him and who knows, maybe we would eventually talked, I hope. Uh, uh, but um, yeah, I think he would be very proud of you. I, I just think all of us wish that our wives would do or our husbands would do what you did for him. You certainly uh, did a lot of work, a lot of hard work. The book is, uh, you know, just very impressive, very well documented. So get it. The protocol that kills anything else. Did I miss any other links or anything? No, but I want to thank Al, uh, Roberta and Alan. I couldn't have done it without their strength and, and help just to get out of bed and keep going, keep moving, keep going, keep moving. We kept finding new stuff and we kept the 444 prayer initiative. Rob started uh, on the virtual house church. We saw 444 pop up every now and then. That was just like a smile from heaven. Uh, it, it was amazing. I mean, we've had a lot of confirmation that this is the right thing that we did. So we're yeah, going to- the 444 story, that was a big number for Rob, for those who knew. And interestingly enough, uh, as I finished the editing of the book in the very last pass, instead of we finally done, because we kept putting things in and taking things out and the page numbers kept changing. In the actual word processor we used, the total number of pages is 444 pages, but it generated some blanks in between certain sections, section breaks. And so I had to take the blanks out. And it became 438, but it actually came out to 444 pages, which is phenomenal. And that's when we said, we're done. Yeah, and we're that, done. He converted it, 444. He couldn't believe it. And I in said- the very first month it was available, because which was in the month of April, it came out April 18th. Mm -hmm. And then 444 paperback copies sold the month of April, I got to the end of the month at midnight, 444 paperbacks had sold. Then there were some hardbacks and some also downloadable PDFs. But I said, there's that 444 again. So we know that she's on the right track. She's doing what God would have her to do in writing this book and getting this story out. I think so. Tony, Tony I see you there. Do you have, do you have any impressions, any questions? I'm definitely getting the book. I mean, I said that at the beginning of the show and just uh, amazing research information the effort here this is really needed in this time so i'm i'm just uh i i was really enjoying the show i'm i'm sorry it has to end uh frankly, yeah. so much oh, one more thing uh, a lot of people are buying the pdf to go with the book because it's word searchable yeah it's keyword searchable if you want a pdf keyword searchable it's only 9.95 to get and the pdf if you want it's in full color yeah the book is printed in black and white because it'd be too expensive to print in color but the pdf yeah. is in full color Fantastic. And that's the buy now page at the protocol that kills.com. You can see the ways to buy it on Amazon or the PDF version if you want it or both. Get the book, get the book, support these courageous people. Uh, these, I mean, I, I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir here. I don't think anybody listening to this show uh, doesn't know what we're saying is true. But if any of you out there have your skepticism, please be skeptical. So I uh, thank you very much, Sheila, mm -hmm. Alan, Roberta. Thanks for being on the show. Best of luck mm -hmm. to you. 
And uh, I thanks everybody for listening to I Protest. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same channel. Thank you. Thank you.